quiet, Shag. I can't believe you talked me into sneaking in here. We gotta be quiet so we don't wake up Brian or his family. Don't worry, Andy. Ever since they had the baby, they're exhausted all the time. They sleep like banthas. Listen, you can hear Ryan snoring. Welcome to the Secret Origins Podcast. Dude, don't sweat it. The odds of Ryan waking up are 1 to 1 million four. Never tell me the odds. Okay. All right, now here's Ryan's equipment he uses for Give Me Those Star Wars. If we're going to do our own episode of the show, we're going to need this gear. Hmm. They don't seem like they're getting much use since he saw The Last Jedi. Does this stuff even work anymore? You better watch your mouth, kid, or you'll find yourself floating home. <laughs> Engines to power. Atomic batteries, too. Can you stay focused for, like, two seconds? Dude! It's not my fault. Here. Try this. All right, we should be all set. Go ahead and cue up the opening theme. No, 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 no. We got to kick this off with the good opening theme. We're doomed. Star Wars, give me those Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars, don't have that man. Star Wars, those dear Star Wars, talking about Star Wars on the podcast. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Gimme Those Star Wars. I'm your host, the Irredeemable Shag, and along with me is my co-host, Mr. Andy Capellish. Welcome to the show, sir. And may the Force be with you as well. And also with you. <laughs> I always <laughs> want to respond with that. So, yeah. for those of you who are wondering where Ryan Daly is, don't worry. Andy and I have only stolen the show for this one episode. Actually, the whole way that Ryan structured the show originally, he always intended for the Game of the Star Wars show to allow people from the Fire and Water Network to host various episodes on different topics. And the episode that we're going to do today, we've actually been planning for over a year, which is crazy. Uh, and it just so happens to be sort of a coincidence that we're releasing it while Ryan is on his nerd sabbatical from Star Wars. Kind of ironic, given the situation that he's hermited himself away from the rest <laughs> of the Order. He's building his own lightsaber. <laughs> Is it, yes. Now, is it Cave or is it the Kenobi Hut? I'm going with the Kenobi Hut, I think. Uh, I think that makes yes, a lot of sense. All right. I think thematically it works. Yes. Keep, keep in mind, folks. Yes, Ryan is away. He, he, he's lost the spark of the, of the force or whatever, but just know that this is temporary. We all know it is. As soon as he rewatches the Ewok adventure, it will rekindle his love of Star Wars. I have no doubt. And he will be back producing episodes before you know it, folks. Man, if only I could get Burl Ives to narrate my life, that would be phenomenal. <laughs> Wait, no, that's Caravan of Courage, right? I was going to say, I'm a little partial to Battle for Endor, and it was Wilford Brimley, but hey, you know what? You keep shooting those blanks there, buddy. <laughs> hey, where else do you get to see Ewoks constructing their own glider? Caravan of Courage all the way. <laughs> I don't know. Like, again, Battle for Endor guy myself. So, All right, that's fine. There's no bad options. All right, folks, in just a moment, Andy and I are going to talk about today's subject, which we're both really excited to talk about. It is an episode 22 years in the making. It's a project that we love dearly back in the day. We are going to talk about... Big Jizz. 
We are. We're big, a, we it's, are. It's big giz. It's got to be no, giz. Because every time you say his name, there's a clear delineation. It's like when uh, you were in high school and you would say have to say game master so people didn't con- confuse what you were talking about. If, if it's big giz, you have to always have to put that pause in there. Star Wars is an action-oriented thing. It's got to it's gotta be. It's got to be big giz. See, I see it like grizzly bear, like giz. It doesn't matter. Either way, folks, <laughs> we are going to talk about Shadows of the Empire, specifically the entire phenomena. So we're going to cover every range of it, and we're going to dive into it in just a minute. But first, we're going to take a second to thank our sponsor. This very special episode of Gimme Those Star Wars is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collector editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Now, since we're talking about Shadows of the Empire, and if you're not familiar with about it, you're going to learn a lot about it in a few minutes, but Shadows of the Empire took place between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. So, my selection from the InStockTrades library is specifically Star Wars Marvel Years Omnibus Hardcover Volume 2. Specifically, the cover by Gene Day. I only mention that because there's a couple of them on InStockTrades. One of them is super expensive, and one of them's not much as expensive. So, the Gene Day cover is the one's a little less expensive. Basically, what this does is it collects the Marvel Star Wars comics, the classic version, the f- issues 45 through 78 in annual number 2. And what that breaks down to is it collects the Empire Strikes Back to Return of the Jedi era. They that gap between Empire and Return. Marvel's producing comics, and this collects that gap. So I feel like it was kind of nice thematically. Shadows of the Empire is that gap. These comics are that gap. And quite frankly, these are my favorite Marvel comics. I, In fact, some of my favorite Star Wars comics in, at all. You get Shiera Bree. It's such a great, great era. I don't know if you've ever read the Marvel comics, but this era was phenomenal. So, folks, oh. you, just wait. I, I, that wasn't really a real question. I don't really care if you read it or not. I'm just trying to get through this segment. Could you just hold on? Hold your horses there, Andy. Anyway. What the... <laughs> Voodoo. Uh, page count is 848 pages. It's 848 freaking pages of Star Wars, folks. Full color. Now, it is one of these big omnibus, so it retails normally for $125. Whoa! I know. Hold on, though. Right now, it's on sale for 50% off, so you can get it for only $62.50 and get you know all those years of Star Wars. It's awesome. It's phenomenal. Now, Andy, if you must speak, please feel free. I was just saying, I, there was the lady with the red skin and the brown hair. Zeltron. And she was sort of, yeah. Anyways. Uh, A true Star stuff. Wars fan would have known that. Well, <laughs> sure. All right. Did you happen um, to bring an in-stock trades pick? Actually, yes, I did, because I'm prepared for once in my entire life. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm recommending today the Star Wars Legends Epic Collection Trade Paperback of Infinities. Mm. Now, it normally retails for $39.99, but on in-stock trades, you can get it for $23.19. That's a total of 42% off. It's phenomenal. But uh, basically what this does is it takes Star Wars, right? Stories. Uh, you know, you, you know the classic Star Wars stories. I've heard of Luke them. Skywalker versus, yeah, versus Darth Vader. But that moon yeti looking guy with the other uh, <laughs> scruffy looking guy. And they're flying around with the robots, right? Right. Well, in this, they take the stories that you know and they put a little what if Elseworld spin on them. And uh, you can find out, I believe one of them, the stories is what if Luke didn't blow up the Death Star? Um, another one is what if Leia actually became, you know, sort of the Jedi and then was turned by Darth Vader? 
Uh, what if Darth Vader was a good person? There's a ton of stuff in here. It's all phenomenal. It's really great. I highly recommend all three of them. There's A New Hope, Return of the Jedi, and Empire Strikes Back included in this collection. I highly recommend it if you want to read some good alternate Star Wars stuff, which I think kind of fits now that the uh, expanded universe is uh, sort of a nebulous idea type place as opposed to being, you know, more canonical than it used to be. So I think that this uh, this is a good choice and it's unassailable. So there it is. Awesome. Well, folks, for these and all your collected editions, please seek out InStockTrades.com. Good selections, too. All right, well, before we dive into Shadows of the Empire, I did want to take a second. Since we're talking about the expanded universe, I thought it might be nice for us to sort of put a little frame of reference around it for us. So, like, Andy, how did you first find the expanded universe? What was your first exposure to it? Well, racking my brain trying to figure this out because uh, I guess the time period that I grew up, I was born at the beginning of the dark times. The uh, 1985 was the year that uh, the first Ewok movie came out, of course, classic. But then also, you know, the, the original toy line ended and... And a lot of the, the the droids cartoon only ran for one season. The Ewoks cartoon only ran for one season. Thankfully. Ew, oh, come on. There's some okay stuff in there if you're a kid. Not the Ewoks um, cartoon, buddy. <laughs> okay. I, I just like the designs. I actually haven't seen any of it. I like the theme music. The comic books are actually pretty interesting. Not maybe, you know, adult style taste. Maybe maybe adult style taste. I don't know. But uh, the few Ewoks comics I've read, I've enjoyed as sort of, you know, Casper and uh, Little Devil and things like that. But anyways, so growing up without uh, sort of in the vacuum of Star Wars, I heard started to hear rumblings. And at the time, my friend Brett, who was actually uh, the pastor's son at the church that I went to, his family was pretty well off. And he had a, a large collection of uh, both Star Wars memorabilia sort of star wars books and stuff like that so he actually had read like heir to the empire and and stuff mm. as it was coming out and so i'd heard rumblings about stuff and i think the first time i actually heard them was i got heir to the empire on tape from the library and i had to go over to my grandpa's house to listen to it on a portable you know one of those recorder cassette tapes things <laughs> and i was so worried about recording over it that i uh, listened to the first like tape of it and then i just returned to the library it was too stressful for me <laughs> So, um, anyways, and then Shadows of the Empire was the first honest-to-goodness thing that I really was able to sort of glom onto because they had the action figures and the the action figure two-packs came with comic books. So you could read one of those. And then also at the time, we used to go on trips when I lived down with my mom and my stepdad. He collected sort of farm toys, so like metal tractors and backhoes and things of that nature, which I had zero interest in. Um, and uh, But we would go to the AMT Ertl thing in Dyersville, Iowa, which is about a seven-hour drive for us. But we'd go up, we'd buy a whole bunch of this stuff at a wholesale from the retailer, from the actual plant um, that they had in the in the town there. And uh, I was always able to pick out, you know, one or two things. And so when we went up there, I was actually able to get some of the model kits because I really enjoyed. So I had like uh, uh, the AMT Luke and Yoda um, mm. Dagobah mm-hmm. sort of one, oh, yeah. um, which which the scale wasn't exactly right for action figures but it was close enough. So I never actually had the toy Dagobah, but I had the model Dagobah. I also had a Jabba the Hutt's palace where you could paint all the little figures and, you know, arrange them. And there was another Hoth one that I had. But the Jabba the Hutt's palace actually had a insert and a mini comic of uh, Shadows of the Empire. Um, and then, you know, I, I got some of the toys and so a few of the other things. So I definitely remember this being kind of like my first, there's more Star Wars than just the movies sort of moment. That's really cool. That is very, I love how it ties into today's episode. That's fantastic. Uh, 
uh, for me, my first exposure to the expanded universe, besides my own imagination with my action figures, you know, in 1977, 1978, playing with those, would be probably the Marvel Star Wars comics. Because I was collecting those starting uh, in 1980, right after Empire came out, which is, might be why that's my favorite era. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they always say your favorite era is when you were, uh, you know, 11 or 12 years old, and I was. Go, stepping beyond the comics, because for me, even though that's technically expanded universe, you know, I don't know. To me, the expanded universe was so much bigger. So the, my first real doorway into the massive expanded universe was a book that I'm holding in my hand that I found in the attic a, a year or two ago. It is called A Guide to the Star Wars Universe. And it was compiled by Raymond Velazago, or Velasco, whatever. And the, this book has been updated over and over and over and eventually probably became the Star Wars Encyclopedia, I'm pretty sure. Because that's what it is. It's basically a Star Wars Encyclopedia. And I read this thing freaking cover. To, I read it like a book. But it's really more like an encyclopedia. And the thing that fascinated me about it was each entry had all these little codes. Like, here's an entry for Pluv 2 for 1. And the entry is HSE. That's what that's the code. So then you go to the front of the book and you look up HSE. Because I'm like, I don't remember this character in the movie. I don't have this action figure. And it says Han Solo, which stars end by, uh, by Del Rey Books. What? You know, there's books about adventures of these characters? And so, while I didn't read those old Brian Daly books. I read all their entries in this encyclopedia over and over and over and over, and this was my first gateway to the expanding universe, was learning the characters. I loved it. Ugh, I, I get all choked up talking about it. I actually picked that book up, I think, last year, maybe end of uh, 2015. I actually picked it up, and I was like, um, does yours have a, like Darth Vader's TIE Fighter on the cover? <laughs> with, like... Sir, that's the expanded version. I have okay. the original right. one, which is uh, copyright, I should have mentioned that earlier, copyright 1984. So I got this thing Oof. in 84. The version wow. you have and this is like the size of a novel. Like a paperback novel is the size of it, like a thick Oh, paper. okay. The one you have is a little bit bigger, more like what they'd call trade, for, uh, trade format now yeah. or whatever. Yeah, 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 With yeah. the Darth Vader TIE Fighter in the trench. That's the updated version, which I own that one as well, too. That's the one I have. And I oh, that, it makes some, some pretty decent bathroom reading, you know? <laughs> you just go in there and, sure. you know, look it up and be like, oh, I wonder what it says about Weechi or, you know, right. Ramba. I, I don't know. Other Ewoks. I'm, I'm an Ewok guy. Everybody's so. got a crutch. So what is your if, – if you had to pick something – out of all the expanded universe, whether it's the Legends era, the modern era, whatever, of the expanded universe, what would you say is your favorite? Um, out of all the uh, sort of expanded universe stuff, I, I think it would be probably the Infinities. Really? Okay. As as far as, like, you know, more comic books go. Um, if we're just talking about, like, anything, I'm really... Okay. I didn't want to mention it because I'm hoping that it'll be canonized. And I know, like, I'm very critical of people who hold on to EU feelings mm-hmm. as... I'm not necessarily critical of them but i just feel like star wars is star wars and you know the more star wars the better because right. star wars is amazing just get um, to your answer son i don't need the, right. i don't need the backstory goodness gracious we can talk <sighs> about legends in a minute but tell me what all is your right. favorite child all right well kenobi by jonathan jackson miller which is uh, probably one of the best star wars novels ever read i've ever read in my entire life it's basically obi-wan kenobi plays a noir detective that is trying to solve a crime that takes place in sort of a wild west frontier fort type situation mm-hmm. and it is phenomenal i've probably read that book 
six or seven times at this point. I, I love it so much. I just actually just bought the paperback. I normally rent it from the library in audiobook, audiobook form. I just bought the paperback so I could loan it out to people, not even for my own enjoyment, just spreading <laughs> the good news. Wow. So, yeah. So <laughs> when, does it take place after episode three or between two and three? Or Yeah, so basically Luke Skywalker would be about six, uh, five or six. Okay. Yeah, the, in the audiobook, the, the person that does it is very good and they have sort of a, a a real knack for being you know transition mcgregor into uh alec guinness nice. so it's it's yeah it's very good sometimes he sounds more guinnessy sometimes it just all works out really well so i recommend if you get you get your chance on the have a chance to get your hands on the printed version or i highly recommend the audiobook both excellent choices very so. cool uh my selection is probably a little boring uh i i maybe it's just because i'm biased because it's my favorite aaron bias that guy owes me money or maybe i owe him money actually you know what never mind <laughs> Well, my choice is Heir to the Empire, or actually really the Thrawn trilogy in general, but I love Heir to the Empire so much. I've, I can't tell you how many times I've read that book. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I have listened to the unabridged audiobook. It's like, I don't know, 17 discs long or whatever, something like that, but I, I've listened to it so many times. I have a real passion for it. I realize it's out of continuity now, but it's, it's darn near close to being back in continuity with the new Thrawn book that just came out by, or not just, but the new Thrawn book by Timothy Zahn, which I'm reading right now, by the way. It's just really a fun read. I just, I love the world they created with, with, uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn. I feel like he was so different from Vader. It was like an, an original idea. If you want to get really snarky, you could say like Force Awakens was so much of a copy of A New Hope, whereas Heir to the Empire was a chance to actually do something a little more original. And I really feel like he captured the voices. Apparently, Timothy Zahn used to listen to, the Star Wars movies on these things called cassette tapes that people like my age know how to use properly. Anyway, he would audio record the movies. I was trying. I was <laughs> like nine at the time. I knew how to use them. In, I was making mixtapes when I was nine. <laughs> anyway, um, Timothy Zahn would record the movies on audio and play them in the car for his kids on long trips. And so that's how he became so familiar with the characters that writing the dialogue, that's why that dialogue sounds so natural for those characters. So anyway, I just, I love those books. And uh, so that's, that's my favorite. Yeah, that's amazing. I think that bringing Thrawn back into the canon was one of the best decisions that Disney Lucasfilm, you know, sort of the, the new era, Kathleen Kennedy's uh, Star Wars. I, I think it's one of the best moves they've made. And he is just evil and menacing. I don't know if you watch Rebels at all, but it's phenomenal. I just, I, I love Thrawn so much in both the Legends canon and the, the new stuff. It's just wonderful. He's, he's so great. He's just, just such a bad guy. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll, we'll be able to compare and contrast him to, uh, Prince Shizor here in a second. Oof. But. It's just a matter of time until they make Mara Jade canon. So anyway. All right. So speaking of this whole I'm canon, down. This, I'm totally down. Oh, everyone is. There's no one alive that's opposed to this idea. So, um, <laughs> So speaking of this whole canon versus not canon, all right, so the legends change, where they take all the old EU, you know, some people would say they flush it down the drain, some people would say, you know, they just move on and reboot, whatever. They have made all of this stuff into the legends continuity, which is no longer getting new material, and they have the new continuity. How did you feel about your EU, or how do you feel now, whichever, how do you feel about that position where it's now legends? Oh, well, to be honest, there was a lot of things in the EU I didn't like. I'm very vocal about a lot of the middle-of-the-road stuff that's not necessarily bad, but not good, like Trusit Bakura. For me personally, I'm not going to make any definitive statements. I read it when I was a lot younger than I am now. Um, but, you know, I loved a lot of, like, the, the New Jedi Order stuff. Oh, and, ugh. Oh, sorry. Well, <laughs> Said out loud. 
<laughs> but you know, Cornhorn, right? Oh, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. he was both Rogue Squadron and he was a Jedi. That's pretty cool. There's a lot of stuff, but like, I hated the Yuuzhan Vong. I really did. I thought that was just the dumbest thing that ever happened. And also, another thing too that I really didn't like about the EU was it got kind of muddy with like, how do I say this without? I love Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I really do. But Star Trek is science fiction as a theme, and it's also as a setting. And Star Wars is fantasy with science fiction as a setting or as a as a you know sort of a a thing so it's like space fantasy so a lot of like stuff in the eu tend to get really technical where it was like this is you know such and such a ship with like this designation and you know a lot of people crunching numbers about stuff and a lot of times when i was reading eu stuff it felt a lot like people were just like giving me a lecture about how space travel worked and i didn't want that i wanted to see a princess choke out a giant slug that's what i wanted you know like flash gordon with wizards and stuff that's what I wanted. I don't think that the EU was bad in any way, shape, or form. It just ranged so wildly from stuff I really liked to stuff that I just couldn't just stomach at all. Like, just the Yuuzhan Vong just make me angry every time I think about it. Um, <laughs> I, totally, so, I totally understand why they did the Yuuzhan Vong. I get it. I know. I understand the behind-the-scenes stuff that made them do it. I understand the thematic reasons they did it. But at the end of the day, after maybe two or three books, maybe four books of them, I was like, I've had enough. So I immediately, when they're like, oh, they're, they don't use technology. And I was like, oh, so they're like the Athorians, right? Like, they have, like, bio ships. And like, well, no, but also they, like, have guns that are just snakes that they straighten out and I was like no um, I'm out I'm, I'm out I'm out I'm out I don't want any of this so you were okay with the change well okay so here's the thing they did something that royally pissed me off really just made me so upset I could not other than the Yuuzhan Vong even even more untenable than than the Yuuzhan Vong was the death of Chewbacca Chewbacca is my favorite Star Wars character has been since I was a kid as a, as a kid who was always taller and bigger than everybody else I always played Chewbacca or if uh, they would let me see 3PO but no one ever let me so um, so you know I would always play Chewbacca and uh, I loved Chewbacca as a kid and when he died I thought that was just ridiculous it was just it just made me so angry when I read it in Star Wars Insider so they actually had a really great by the way uh, four part uh, series Dark Horse did a uh, sort of Chewbacca in Remembrance comic book mm. um, just called Chewbacca and it's it's wonderful I highly recommend it it's C-3PO and R2-D2 going around interviewing the people that were most important in Chewbacca's life and Chewbacca was most important too. It's wonderful. Um, do they interview Mala and Chewie and Lumpy? They do, actually. Oh my uh, gosh, really? <laughs> oh wait, no, hold on. They they talk to Mala. They don't talk to Lumpy, but they talk to Adichuk. Okay, or, yeah, um, Chewie, his dad. Or, itchy? Uh, or yeah. itchy, Itchy, I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I meant to say. They talked to so many different people from uh, Chewbacca's past, and the, the, the Princess Leia one's just heartbreaking. Just mm-hmm. really, just the saddest thing, because she's jealous of Han and Chewie's relationship, but she could never show it, because obviously she owed so much to Chewbacca. I don't know, it's a, it's a really just, but it's not like jealous girlfriend when, you know, Han's cracking a few cold ones open with the boys. Um, but it's like, <laughs> it's, it's more along the lines of just interesting dynamics dynamics, emotional dynamics of what makes a family. And so it's just, it's, it's really, it's just a beautiful book. But anyways, when they killed Chewbacca, I was so mad about it. And when they said that they were jettisoning a lot of the excess stuff from the EU and, you know, uh, making it all, you know, they're going to tell different Star Wars stories. First of all, we get double Star Wars. So that's never a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, that's good we get look at it. 20 years of Star Wars plus now 
we're just going to get more Star Wars that's covering the same amount of time, same place. They're not beholden to a lot of the stuff that's in canon or, you know, was sort of set up to be in canon. Now we're actually going to have definitive answers for stuff in a, in a very controlled setting. I trust Kathleen Kennedy. I trust Pablo Hidalgo. I love what they're doing. So, and I was just so happy when they brought Chewbacca like back into the thing, like with a first photo of all of them. And then Peter Mayhew was sitting there. I was like, Chewbacca's back. And I just air guitared for 30 minutes. Like I was just so over the moon, you know, Good and bad. Ultimately, like you, you you were the founder of this, but finding your joy. If you don't like the new stuff, that's okay. Like, I mean, I get it. I, I know that a lot of people, but you know, you should just open your heart to any Star Wars because that's what it's about, man. That's what fandom is, is, you know, trying to find out the most you can and finding out what you like. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, even people now need to go back, you know, keep an open mind about EU stuff. Like, even if it's not in canon, there's a ton of great stuff to glean from it. And if you're one of the old, you know, sort of old heads, as it were, and you wanted to go and, you know, don't want any of the new stuff, there's new stuff that will blow your socks off, man. It's great. So just more Star Wars is never bad. I don't see how anyone could take that position. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. No, I I totally get it. Now, for me, when I first heard the announcement, you know, my back got up a little bit because I'm like, what? You know, this thing I've been investing my personal life and energy into since, what, 19, I guess, was the Star Wars comics since 1980, uh, or more specifically, the Thrawn world since 91. That's, what, 20 years? I was like, well, this thing I've cared about for 20 years, it suddenly doesn't matter anymore? Thrawn and Mara Jade are th- suddenly gone? So I, my back got up a little bit, but it was it was a very brief period of time, because... I have survived the rebooting of the DC Universe with Crisis and on Infinite Earths and, and, and later into the New 52. And I made it through that okay. So I realized, you know what? This is no different than the change in New 52. In that case, all my old comics were just fine. They still existed. I could still reread them. The same exists with the Star Wars Universe. Uh, with the Legends continuity, honestly, that's what I prefer. I, I'm not angry about it. I'm not like, rah, rah, rah. But to me, it's like, you know, the new stuff, I've only read a little bit. I've read a few comics, and I've enjoyed all the comics I've read, but none of them have made me, like, desperate to read the next issue every month. I've read The Aftermath, the first book. Didn't do a lot for me, to be honest. And then I'm right... Yeah. Yeah. And right now I'm reading the Thrawn book, which is the first one I've read of any of this new stuff that really kind of held my attention so far. So, But I don't hold any animosity to the new stuff, and I love the old stuff. I mean, since they rebooted it, I've probably read maybe two or three different of the Legends books, or reread them, because that's what I felt like doing. I fully intend to do a reread of the X-Wing books someday, and I don't care if they're old. They still make a heck of a good read. So I'm okay with it. Now... It's sort of interesting, this sort of leads into an interesting conversation here about Shadows of the Empire, because when Shadows of the Empire was announced in 1996, and again, we're going to give you all the details here, we're like an hour into the show, we haven't even talked about the subject matter. Anyway, <laughs> um, when they announced Shadows of the Empire, everything else up to that point had been quote-unquote canon, but Shadows of the Empire was really, really canon at that point. It's like, if anything else contradicted, it didn't matter. There was At that point, in 1996, Lucasfilm basically said, there's the movies as canon, and right beneath that is Shadows of the Empire, and then everything's below that, because Shadows the Empire was a cross-media thing. So Shadows of the Empire to them was canon. They were saying, this is what happens. So when they made the announcement for Legend, the Legends reboot thing, that was my first question is, is Shadows of the Empire in canon anymore? And obviously it's not. But to me, at that point, I was like, well, wait a minute. They said it was. They did all this stuff. So that leads us to the big question, which is, what was Shadows of the Empire? When Luke Skywalker was most vulnerable... This is a dangerous time for you. It is you and your abilities the Emperor wants. When a renegade hero became a friend in desperate need. And a dark villain faced his greatest challenge. Join me, and together we can rule the galaxy as father and son. 
when the Empire turned more and more to the forces of the underworld. Bounty hunters. We don't need that scum. <laughs> the underworld moved in to crush the Empire and the Rebellion in a single stroke. After the Empire Strikes Back and before Return of the Jedi, there was a time when heroes and villains alike lived in the shadows of the Empire. Now, folks, if you haven't read it, if you don't want to know anything about it, sorry, 20 years later, spoilers. Um, you can turn off the podcast, read it and watch it, play it and do all that and come back if you'd like, or we're just going to burn right through this. So, obviously, as we said, Shadows of the Empire has been labeled as part of the Legends, meaning it's not longer in continuity. However, as I said, in 1996, this was the official canon story from Lucasfilm, not just some random writer, about what happened to our heroes between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Finally, we could find out. And the interesting thing about this product was, or, or project, really, was that Lucasfilm wanted to create, essentially, a movie with all the tie-ins, with novels, video game, toys, soundtracks, everything we're talking about it, but without the action movie. So it, it was a really interesting idea to see if they could create a, a Star Wars entity of, of brand new one and have all the merchandising without the film. And from that perspective, I, I personally think it was pretty successful. We'll talk about that on the back end. All right. Okay, I'm going to give a brief synopsis of the story and know that I'm actually pulling from a few different pieces here because it's spread out throughout a number of products. And again, we'll get into that a little bit later. But the story in general, Shadows of the Empire introduces us to Prince Shizor, who's this... Oh, jeez. Did I say it wrong? No. Okay. Well, kind of. Everything that I've heard is Shizor. Like in the people say it and in the audiobook, they say Shizor. Mm-hmm. As a kid, I was always Zizor because <sighs> I know and it bugs me so much when people mispronounce things that I don't, you know, the whole dark seed thing. Oh, hate it. Well, they went out of their way in the book. There's a whole bit in the beginning of the I know, book where his I know. chair I was is talking I to him. Hard. <laughs> to try and teach people reading the book how to say his name. <sighs> so, all right. Yeah. If I could possibly get through my synopsis, maybe just past the first sentence, if that's okay with you, Mr. Capella. It's not my fault this is taking forever. <laughs> all right. So, Shadows See if you can get our weapons back. Oh, right, my God. <laughs> <laughs> boring conversation anyway. So, uh, Shadows of the Empire introduces us to Prince Shizor, and he is this alien overlord of the largest criminal organization in the galaxy. It's called Black Sun. And his goal is to take Darth Vader's place at Emperor Palpatine's side. Now, our star warriors, you know, Luke, Leia, Lando, Chewie, the droids, they are desperately looking for their lost comrade, Han Solo. Unfortunately, Han is still frozen in carbonite at this point and being taken to the gangster Jabba the Hutt by the bounty hunter Boba Fett. Might have heard of him. Boba Fett? Where Boba Fett? And uh, <laughs> the story then introduces us to another new character, Dash Rendar, who's sort of an action-oriented smuggler with a heart of gold. You, you might know the type. The story follows the team's dangerous search for Boba Fett. Ultimately, their mission to stop Boba Fett is unsuccessful, and Fett gets away with Han. However, Fett has his own problems, as rival bounty hunters are determined to steal Han Solo from them for themselves, because they want to collect the bounty. We also see the construction of Luke Skywalker's new lightsaber, while Darth Vader searches for his son, and because Darth Vader wants to turn Luke over to the dark side of 
out of the Force. However, Prince Shizor is in the background trying to have Luke killed as revenge to Darth Vader. And on Tatooine, Darth Vader has an agent named Jix who has infiltrated Jabba the Hutt's gang of bikers to prevent the murder of Luke. And in order to lure Luke over so that he can kill him, Shizor has Princess Leia kidnapped. So Luke, Lando Calrissian, and Dash Rendar sneak into Shizor's palace to... See, I just said it wrong. Sneak into Shizor's <laughs> palace to rescue Leia, which leads to a massive climax above the skies of Coruscant. The story ends with Luke and Leia as they plan to rescue Han from Jabba the Hutt's clutches leading into Return of the Jedi. Now that is a super brief recap, and essentially what I did was I pulled story threads from the book, from the companion video game, and from the companion comic book, because not all of this was explored in one medium. Each medium kind of had their own thrust. We'll talk more about that in a bit. So, you think, is there any major beats I missed there in the synopsis? Uh, big jizz. Oh. We've got to talk about big jizz. So having big giz and jicks, both, you know, there's a lot of X's and JG sounds. Yeah, in okay, in okay, okay, but why would you have a character named Big Jizz and then have another character named Jix in the same thing? And also, isn't Jabba the Hutt's last name like Dzizhik? How do you pronounce Jabba the Hutt's last name? I have do you no know? idea. I, if I've seen it, I thought it was the Hutt. Uh, if I've seen it in writing, <laughs> I've probably forgotten. <laughs> It's like, it's like it's he's got like four different names and i don't know if that's like a, a title or a style but like it's uh whenever it's written out i i don't know how to pronounce whatever that is so it's very polish i wonder if jab of the hut's polish he could be he could be I'm, I'm from wisconsin so you know up there there's a lot of names that have s's and j's next to each other but uh i never learned how to pronounce them so job of the hut uh krasinski so that could be him so. yeah yeah that <laughs> makes perfect sense no other than uh the the no you you did it you did it wonderful job. Shag. Thank you so much. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of behind the scenes, <laughs> sort of the history of Shadows of the Empire. And I got all this, folks, uh, from this amazing book. It's called The Secrets of Star Wars Shadows of the Empire by Mark Cotta Vaz. And it was written as... Uh, Shadows of the Empire was being developed. It's basically the marketing plan for Shadows of the Empire. And um, at the time, again, 1996, I was I was just out of college. I was living on my own. I had moved out of town. Oh, I had so a, old. Shut just up. the oldest person shut I've ever up. met. I, I never liked you. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I, I, I ate when 800 years old you look. Uh, I can't even say the damn line. It, joke works better if you can say it. You know what I'm going for. Anyway. Yeah, I, I, I was right there with you. So I was living on my own for the first time. I had my own place. I had disposable income. I uh, And my degree in college was marketing. And so here we are. Shadows of the Empire is perfectly placed for a time in my life where I'm free to do what I want. I have money and I love marketing. So reading the marketing plan for Shadows of the Empire, this thing I was heavily investing a bunch of cash into, was like heaven for me. So I reread the book in preparation for this podcast. And so what I'm going to do is blow through some of the, just the higher points of the behind the scenes and some of the powers of people who uh, made this happen. So the seeds of Shadows of the Empire uh, had been planted years earlier during a meeting between Lucasfilm Publishing Director, her name's Lucy Audrey Wilson and Lou Aronica of Bantam Books. So those two really probably deserve the credit for having this big idea. Lou suggested that they were perfectly positioned to do a multimedia event with one storyline going through all their different product categories. Brilliant. The initial planning meetings happened in the summer of 1994, so they had two years to plan this thing out. And Star Wars uh, Shadows of the Empire began as a two-page outline on on the basic premise and the characters, and it was a memo that was prepared by Howard Rothman and Lucy Wilson, uh, with George Lucas himself approving the project, setting it within the flow of the original trilogy, because that was a big deal. At that point, all the Star Wars books and comics and stuff like that, they had had to avoid the original trilogy period. They had to either go before, you know, uh, like thousands of years earlier with uh, Tales of the Jedi, 
Jedi, or they had to go much later, like five years later, with, with the Thrawn stuff and the X-Wing stuff like that. And it was originally planned to take place between A New Hope and Empire, which was, you know, very different sort of feeling. What? I know. But John Knowles, who was an artist and a game designer, suggested that it should be set between Empire and Return because there were more cliffhangers and more dramatic possibilities. And I think the guy's right. Now, mm-hmm. I do want to sort of set the stage for you as far as what was going on in the Star Wars universe at this point, uh, giving you some timing. So, as, as Andy called it, the dark times, if you will, exactly right. There was a period of time, for you youngins may not realize this, there was a period of time where Star Wars was basically a dead property. They're called younglings. <laughs> The younglings, the younglings. Um, from about 1986 to about 1991, Star Wars was dead. It was like six or seven years where it was no one cared. If you liked Star Wars, you were considered sort of weird. You know, it's like, that's not a thing anymore. Why are you still into that? That's weird. And so for a long time, there was really not nothing new being produced. 1991 was really the era when Star Wars started kicking in. Now, I know some of you are going, no, the role-playing game came out in 1987. I know that. I have it. However, that was really niche, guys. Okay? It wasn't until 1991 when Heir to the Empire, which was a novel, went on the New York Times bestsellers list. That sort of started to bring Star Wars back in the public consciousness. About the, the same year, we get the Dark Empire comic. And I bring that up because there's your first novel, really, of the new era. There's your first comic of the new era. Then in 1993, you get the X-Wing video game, as well as the Rebel Assault video game. Now, oh, yeah. I know. Now, there had been Star Wars video games before that, but X-Wing was, as far as I'm concerned, probably the first breakout game in the new era of Star Wars. Uh, X-Wing, which led to the TIE Fighter, which led to Alliance, all that stuff. So that's 1993. 1995, you get the VHS re-release of Star Wars. Which, yes. Which, y- unless you lived through that, you probably don't think much of it, because it's like Star Wars. It's oh, you can always You can always go buy it and rent it. Yes, you could buy the old versions. But in 1995, there was enormous marketing push. It was, buy Star Wars in the original version, the last time you can ever buy the original version before the special edition and all this stuff. So it was huge that everybody bought the VHS release in 1995. Speaking of graphic design, by the way, mm-hmm. those are the most beautiful tapes of all the Star Wars tapes that I own. Mm. I love... Now, the Stormtrooper is a weird choice and <laughs> Vader's, Vader's less of a weird choice, but the, the Empire Strikes Back with just the, the solid black with Yoda his head on it is just that's to me that's like one of the most like peak star wars like things from my childhood that that the 95 re-releases oh yeah just phenomenal i i love those so and it wasn't there like the uh george lucas interviews before the uh, uh i think uh, there were Ma- yeah yeah malton uh what's the guy's Leonard name malton yeah you're yeah, right. yeah 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 mm-hmm. I, I watched those tapes so many times you think i'd have this thing memorized i uh oh yeah it, i've got almost every uh, every incarnation of the star wars on vhs so I just, um, yeah. we all so stupidly keep buying it over and over and over <laughs> anyway all right so also in 1995 you get the vhs just releases, you also get the beginning of the Power of the Force action figures. Yes! And the Dark Forces video game as well. But, so, uh, the way I want to great. identify this, though, is from 1991 to 1995, you got the first big novel, the first big comic, the first big video game, first big action figures. That set everything up and everything in play for 1996 for Shadows of the Empire. Worked out perfectly. Also, this was a bit of a setup. You know, as far as I'm concerned, really, it's never been said anywhere I've seen, but as far as I was concerned, really what this was, I think was them to begin to fire up the marketing machine, if you will, to make sure that the marketing and merchandising could actually work. Because they're looking at here in 1996, they're going, okay, we got the Star Wars re-release coming out in 97. It's going to be an opportunity to sell a lot of stuff. 
we got episode one coming out in 1999, so that's three years away for them. And Lucas, they got caught with their pants down in 1997, or 1977. They couldn't produce the action figures in time, remember? And so I think they wanted to... Yeah, Shag, I remember that. Well, I mean, everyone knows the story about buy the cardboard box for Christmas (laughs) and you get the figures later. But anyway, I think they were trying to make sure they didn't get caught with their pants down again. They're like, you know, do we have the merchandising in place to be a hit in 1999 and hit the ground running? And so in 1996, they say, let's let's do it. Let's do everything that is required for merchandising of a movie without the movie. So I think that's the real reason Shadows of the Empire happened. Not all these other ideas, you know, oh, we got this opportunity. No, I think they were trying to make sure they could get the marketing and merchandising engine up and running. No, I, I 100% agree with that. And also, they did such a good job. The toys were plentiful. I especially love the Power of the Force line and the Shadows of the Empire, Power of the Force stuff. Beautiful purple packaging with the holograph. Mm-hmm. I just, oh, that's my aesthetic, man. Like, I love it so much. And also, the, the way that they used, like, color palettes to kind of, like, differentiate themselves from the stuff, the Star Wars stuff that was out currently, when it, like, started, it started coming out with a sort of, like, purples and reds and blues and kind of, like, not to get into the color theory too much but it kind of like really bridged the gap and also there's like a lot of like sort of like gray tones and stuff and like neutral colors so it was kind of like bridging like Bespin to mm. like Jabba's palace because like if wow. you look at the color palette it, it, it really does bridge the gap between those two things so the last thing that you see in, in Empire and the first thing that you see in Jedi they use the color schemes of both of those things in their sort of marketing and in their sort of the comics and the, the images that were created for it and those beautiful paintings that uh what the hildebrands did oh my gosh i i just i love that stuff so much but yeah Man, it took it took an artist to really dig deep into that because i never <laughs> thought about all that so well done sir well done <laughs> thank you well one, one last I ate thing. a lot of crayons as a kid so <laughs> one last thing on the on the on the part marketing push and all that one more opportunity besides getting the marketing and merchandising engine up and running it also gave them a night opportunity to try something new yeah across all platforms because up to this point most everything they done had been basically a nod and a wink to the old stuff. It had been, mm-hmm. you know, the action figures were all the Star Wars stuff you already knew from the movies. The video games were just rehashing what you had already seen in the movies. This was their first chance of really creating something big, splash, and new content. Almost like, hmm, you know, what do we need to do to get people to accept something new? Because they were thinking about Phantom Menace coming up. Well, why don't we go ahead and start diving into the major characters in Shadows of the Empire? Why don't you walk us through that, Andy? I sure will. Of course, we have our new titular sort of hero and focus character, Dash Rendar. Spaces, Toby Keith and uh, Lebo. Uh, no, okay. The picture that I'm looking at right now, he looks like a cross between Toby Keith and Brett Favre. He's got sort of that that square jawed hero type thing, but he also looks like he's drank about 15 Budweisers before the picture was taken. Right, he's, well, he's got... Before we get into his look too much, because I got stuff to say. Why don't you tell them a little bit about the character, and then we'll talk All about it. All right, fine. I'm a visual person. Gosh, I laid it out in an agenda for you and everything. All right. Well, Dash, of course, is a hotshot pilot. So you used a Top Gun reference because you're older than dirt. Uh, but <laughs> or everyone's seen that movie. I, well, all right, fine. Anyways, I was gonna. I, I always thought he kind of reminded me of like a Guy Gardner type personality wise. But that's okay. from playing with the toys when I was a kid. Like he always was kind of like the pardon the language a poodoo kicker. Um, <laughs> 
But anyways, he's full of swagger, but he's also got the skills to pay the bills. He backs it up. And then uh, he's also got a tragic past. The Rendar family uh, had always been wealthy, and then Dash's brother was accidentally crashed a ship into the Emperor's private spaceport museum. That's not that's not true. Is that true? Yeah, it is. Wow. Okay. Well, anyways, that's R.I.P. Well, I, I got this museum. from the Making of the Shadows, the Empire books. I don't know if this backstory is actually in the book or not. I can't remember. I don't know where I got exposed to it, but I de- see a lot of my notes I pulled from the, the, the Making of Shadows of the Empire. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's it, honestly, like, I feel personally attacked because that sounds like something I'd come up with for a, a backstory for a role-playing game character. But anyways. Well, um, that's kind of how they came up with this stuff. Same people yeah, writing I, role-playing books, probably. <laughs> well, they borrowed so heavily on it from the EU. Anyways, that's a that's a tangent we need to nip in the button. Uh, Emperor's Revenge was vicious, and seizure of all Render family assets ha- happened, and Dash kicked uh, was kicked out of the Imperial Academy and banished, and the Rendar family was uh, excommunicated from the planet. Lebo was his droid and kind of had like a one circular eye and one kind of like squinty like tr- rectangle eye, and he was he almost kind of looked like a two one B droid, right? Like, am I dreaming that? A little that, bit, or? little bit, yeah. I, mean, I could see yeah, that. Yeah, like right. So obviously, Dash Rendar is supposed to be sort of your Han Solo character, right? Right. And yeah, because you got the, the vacuum was there, needed to yeah. get filled. And, and as we talk about uh, the the gadgets in a bit, we'll talk about his ship, which was very much a Falcon kind of ship. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, and th- this goes to this. You now, you've already described the picture. I, I, po- I posted this particular picture for a reason. There's a lot of different looks at Dash. Whether you look in the video games or the comics or the toys, they, they all vary a little bit. But the gist of it is, he's got kind of brownish hair, and he's got a scruffy beard, and he wears kind of you know, like. I don't know, like a flight suit with these big shoulder pads. But anyway. It was the 90s, yeah. You had to have shoulder pads. That's true. It's true. So he's lucky he didn't have pouches. Anyway. Um, <laughs> he does have pouches. He does oh, have pouches. Okay, perfect. Now, I always thought of him as a poor man's Han Solo. That's the way I viewed him, all right? Uh, however, after rereading this behind-the-scenes book, and that's where I stole this picture from, was uh, from the behind-the-scenes book, uh, and this particular picture and the description of him, I realize now he is not a poor man's Han Solo. He's, wait for it, he is Star-Lord from Guardians of the Galaxy. Now tell me, see that. this picture no, looks I, like Chris Pratt. <laughs> he, it, actually, you know what? You're not wrong. He looks, for once, he looks <laughs> so much like Chris. Oh, man, that's weird. I'm I'm just seeing it now, but now I can't unsee it. Right. Well, and, and Dash is, he's like this super hotshot pilot. And he, as we said, he's got the skills. He's cocky. He's got this sort of fuzzy, weird, weak beard. He's handsome, but a little rough around <laughs> the edges. He'll take dirty jobs for the money. He's also insecure, you know? And if, and if people ever asked him what his name was, they would immediately afterwards say who uh <laughs> that's true that's true but he, he was also insecure both dash is insecure and, and star lord is too because it, in dash's case he was so cocky but when he failed to save a bunch of boffins a bunch of boffins spies died to bring us this in. anyway uh when he failed to save some boffins he was super upset and he wasn't upset that they died but he was super upset that he he screwed hey, up come on just boffins come on <laughs> So I this guy now when I reread the comic uh this time for the show I reread it from the perspective of him being Star-Lord and it really works. No, yeah, that's a that's a way better read than uh replacement Han Solo. Right. So, but yeah, no, I I 100% agree with that. He looks so much like Chris Pratt. I I just can't I can't unsee it now. It's I beautiful. Know. Yep. Outrider to Echo Base, please respond. Captain, I've established contact with the Rebel Outpost on Hoth. This is Dash Rendar. Tell the Princess I've got that shipment of assault blasters she's been waiting for. Copy, Outrider. We've been expecting him. You are clear to land at Base 3.
think we should talk about Prince Shizor and the Black Sun now, though. Mm-hmm. He's a dark prince, in contrast to, of course, the Dark Lord of the Sith that Darth Vader is. And he is the head of the legitimate, and I'm using air quotes, you can't see them because it's the internet and on a podcast, <laughs> but they're there. Business of XTS shipping, but privately, the master of the feared underworld Black Sun Syndicate. He's like the godfather of the Star Wars mafia. So Jabba the Hutt answers to him. Mm. So he's like he's like the the Don Corleone, and then Jabba the Hutt would be other parts of that movie that it was. <laughs> Um, no, um, uh, Vito or something. He's the third most powerful figure in the galaxy right after the Emperor and Darth Vader. And so, uh, uh Shizor has the Emperor's ear, which uh, frustrates Vader. Because Vader's like, you know, I thought I was the good boy, and now you're telling me somebody else is your favorite kid, and I don't like that. He's getting real angry about it, and, uh, he's just frustrated. Shizor's influence with the Emperor is partially tied into, like, the Black Sun, because if you're, like, running the space military, he's also got space wizard powers. Like, the only thing he doesn't have is, the only cookie jar he doesn't have his hand in is the world of underworld crime. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that, like, Palpatine would be interested in doing stuff like that. He was uh, also going to build the second Death Star? Is that right? Like he was. Well, the, build- the, the gist of it is his shipping company, this XTS shipping, had, uh-huh. uh, and this is part of where the Emperor's connection to him is in the legitimate side, that he had loaned 300 cargo ships to help with the construction of the new Death Star. So Palpatine was connected to him through Black Sun, but also on the on the legitimate side through helping construct the new Death Star. Oh, okay, all right. I was I was kind of confused by that because I was like, I don't know why he's like hanging out and talking about the new Death Star. Like, why did what does he care? He's a weird reptile alien guy. But apparently, that's like what is what he's doing. So he's like this thing called a feline. Like that's the name of his thing. They got spine ridges and they kind of like have this like sort of real intense. <laughs> Yule Brenner, King of Siam type hmm. look to them. Like I, yeah. I, I think that's kind of like what they were referencing. Star Wars relies heavily on old tropes. Obviously, stuff that works in uh, 1996 may not necessarily work in 2018, but definitely I kind of think that they were going for more either Oriental adventures or Mediterranean stuff with him. And also, isn't his theme like real, like real heavily like either Asian or South Asian themed? That's kind of what it's getting from. Uh, like his from the soundtrack. Well, we'll his, talk about that when we get to soundtracks. I was just backing my point on that one, but, but you're correct. Um, yes. Yeah. As much as it um, pains me to admit, you are correct. <laughs> okay. And then he also had the ability to exude pheromone, which attracts the opposite sex. But I think there was some like b- between the lines reading. I think it works on anyone, and they just were like not talking about it hmm. because like when he's talking. I don't know. Anyways, not the spoilers, but like when he's talking to Palpatine. You bet he was flooding that place with pheromones. Anyway, could be, could be. I mean, I, I just if you have that ability, why would it only work on one sort of like biological gender? I don't. Anyways, uh, he's got a dark secret which has led him to hate Darth Vader. He's physically imposing, so he's like six seven, right? Like he's something like real, that. Yeah, he's he's and he's all muscle. Yeah, yeah, but he's like it's lean muscle. Right. He's not like a, a Brock Lesnar type or anything. He's like a Chuck Norris. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <But> tall. <laughs> right. Only uh, he, he lent uh, Chuck, N- Chuck Nurse's beard to uh, Star-Lord over there. There you go. Um, so he's really physical imposing, and like, he's like a really crack fighter, and he's got all kinds of cool stuff. He's a little bit of a, I don't want to say a Mary Sue, but he's got a lot going on for being just the, the guy that he is. Your meeting with the Emperor went well as planned, Prince Shizor? Of course. I promised 300 ships for His Majesty's construction project on Endor. 
I bowed and scraped to every one of Lord Vader's demands. They couldn't have found a more amenable business partner. Or a more dangerous enemy. You've informed Jabba's bounty hunters that Lord Vader's order to capture Luke Skywalker alive has now been changed? Yes, and no one will know that the new order to kill Skywalker came from you. Excellent. My hand must not be detected in this. Vader will surely suffer the Emperor's wrath when he fails to deliver Skywalker alive, as promised. With both of them out of our way, and the Emperor's growing dependence on Black Sun's substantial resources, there is no limit to the power I will attain. He also built a assassin-slash-sex robot. <laughs> okay, it's real gross in the novel, though. Like, when he's talking about it, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, we get it, dude. We understand what's going on here. Well, she's like a smoking hot blonde. <laughs> he's like, he's just, like, he's the way that, like, Steve Perry's talking about her, though, in the novel. Like, I got icked out when I was reading it. I was like, whoa, ooh, oh, okay, all right. And then just in my mind, you were like, she's hot. You were dressed up like uh, Prince Cheezer. Anyways. Well, um, we're, we're going to have this discussion, actually, right now. All right, so okay. I will finish of the Guri thing. Her name's Guri. She, uh, she's an assassin a robot, basically, but she's, yeah, also clearly a sex robot. So we got to have the elephant in the room discussion, which, because you've talked about the pheromones, we talked about Guri. This book is really, really rapey. Like, it's... Oh, no, it's... I mean, time's up, Shizor. Time's up. Yeah. Like... Man. For real. There's not as much of it in the comic or the video game, but the book. There's, yeah, there's a lot of, again, things that in 1996 seemed like they were acceptable, even regardless of whether they were or definitely were not, uh, (laughs) were things that you could sort of slide by on. I think that, like, even for 1996, is a little bit egregious, just for the time period even. It's like, "Mm, that's kind of... Yikes. But anyway. So, so to expand upon this, what, what's going on in the book is Shizor, as you said, he talks about his, his assassin droid who he mentions he slept with many times. But <laughs> throughout the book, he's trying to seduce Leia. He is using his pheromones to try and basically date rape her. And it's, it's horrible. They talk about him spying on her in the bathtub. They talk uh-huh. about, they go extensively into the amount of or lack of clothes that he and Leia are both wearing when they get when they're hanging out together they yeah. they talk about them making out because she's falling victim to the pheromone now she resists the pheromone she doesn't sleep with them folks however he's just constantly pushing himself on her it's a serious i keep going back to that word rapey it's really uncomfortable now he's, even in 1996 i think it was probably uncomfortable because yeah. sex doesn't really have a place in the star wars universe i mean star wars is developed originally for you know like 10-year-old boys, and so sex wasn't even on the radar, and if you look at the history of the Star Wars, there's very, very little sexual stuff in there. The tropes that they kind of play with are, you know, for the most part, sort of the uh, heteronormative, a square-jawed hero, damsel in distress, you know, a single kiss on the cheek is sort of the reward, which, you know, has its own problems, but they never really delve into what I would say physical attraction or whatever. Like, you know, it's not a central focus. We'll say that, like, right. sex and, and, and relationships in Star Wars, not not really a central focus of Star Wars. A lot, I think, a lot of the stuff that did come through was more of an EU thing, right? Like, you know, that like definitely, if you were expanding upon one of the basic human needs is human companionship, and also being somewhat realized characters. Of course, they're going to have emotions and feelings and you know things like that that are sort of attraction. But yeah, there's just even like by like sort of 1996, like even the Pierce Brosnan James Bond stuff was like super tame compared to this stuff and that was like <laughs> over the top um 
Austin Powers controlled himself, and he's the most sexed up person <laughs> in the entire universe. Nineteen ninety six, and Shizor is over there being a sexual predator. So he, he's telling her he's using his powers to control her, saying, "Take your clothes off." I mean, that kind of stuff. You know, making out. I'm pretty sure they, they didn't outline in the book. And I'm pretty sure he got to second base. I mean, it's it was really awkward uh, yeah. and uncomfortable to read. I don't. You know, I've read a ton of Star Wars expanded universe stuff. I don't remember their sex ever being such a prominent thing. And I'm surprised it got past Lucasfilm, to be honest. It was both surprising to me and also, you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a modern person. I'm very sex positive. Just want everybody to be safe and happy and healthy doing what they need to do. But this is just, it's gross and also like extremely out of place for the story that they're telling. Like, it's just, yeah, I don't know. Oof. They could have still kept the pheromone story and him trying to seduce Leia in the story if, if the sexual themes hadn't been so overt and been so much of him forcing himself on her and she, you know, responding to that. Uh, right. Uh, it, it probably it could have still had its place in the story if it, it really had pulled back from it quite a bit. Um, yeah. Anyway, there's yeah, there's it's very happy for what should be theoretically a fun punch em up space yep. laser movie or space laser multimedia experience. So that's, um, a, that's a big black X against this. I, I do want to add one quick thing about Guri in the backstory that I read again in this this making of book. They do reveal her backstory that I don't know was ever really shown anywhere. Steve Perry, the guy who wrote the book, uh, came up with this idea where she was actually a droid she was based upon a droid that was stolen from an alliance project called project decoy in which uh they wanted to create a seemingly real droid that could be used to replace a kidnapped imperial that's in his mind where guri you know kind of her origins were interesting well i mean you know that's why didn't they focus on that anyways missed opportunities um so of course there's jix or as he's called isn't shadow stalker like that's the uh the name that they tried to brand him with yes uh, it was later on series yeah maybe just a one shot but I know that he had his own comic because I had it at one point and I think I traded it for a Mace Windu Star Wars Tales. But anyway, uh, so um, – You came out of the better end of that deal. <laughs> I, I did. Yeah. I'm very happy. I love Star Wars Tales. Anyways, uh, he's sort of got a cross between Garth Ennis' Hitman and Aladdin from uh, Disney's Aladdin thing hey. going on. Well, just the vest really. Yeah, just yeah. The, the vest and you know the pants. And I was confused while I was reading the book because I was like, wait a minute. Is that Dash Rendar in disguise? And then I realized that I had skipped two pages accidentally because I was reading it on an e-reader. Um, but anyways. And, and the interesting thing about Jix is he is not in the book at all. He is not even referenced in the book. He's only in the comic book. So we'll talk more about that in a minute with some of the differences, but that's sort of an interesting aspect of the story is you can have a whole character that you read the book, you didn't even know existed. And he worked for Vader, and he got you know embedded in the Swoop Gang, a job of Swoop Gang, and his job was to keep <laughs> Luke Skywalker alive uh, rather than being killed, which is what Sheezer was out to do. And that's kind of where he fit into the story. And he worked with Big, Big Giz. 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 It, it has to it, mm. Anyways, it has to be. It has to be. The other way around. You have have it wrong. <laughs> it's a Lobo reference. When he's saying fetal's jizz, oh, like, I, that's I his... hear you. I hear you. Just keep <sighs> going, son. All right. <laughs> now, of course, we've got uh, D. Vades, Darth Vader himself, and uh, good old Sheev Palpatine. So we see Vader, and uh, he's, like, in a position of weakness. And actually, I like what they did here, and I think they kind of planted the seeds for, like, the sort of modern Vader comics in here. Because even though this is, like, sort of not recognized as canon, and that is canon now, but they did this whole, like, storyline like about Darth Vader, Vader down. And basically Emperor Palpatine was like so mad at him. 
him for like letting the Death Star get blown up that like Darth Vader has to go to all these like great lengths to like prove himself to the Emperor again in the in the modern comics. And there's a lot of that in here too. the same sort of like Darth Vader's on the outs and like like Palpatine knows that he's kind of has machinations behind his back. Um, What the hell's an aluminum falcon? (laughs) So, but uh, Shizor uh, had the Emperor's ear, and Vader was kind of the, the lesser of the two of of Palpatine's favorites. And then also, you know, he was going to recruit Luke, and he was going to like kill. He said he will join us or die. And then he didn't join them, and he was also very clearly still alive. So like, I'm I'm sure that Palpatine was none too thrilled about that. And then also the sort of like difference between Vader and Shizor, um, and they were kind of like talking in front of the Emperor. It's like when you and your your siblings are or I have I have three brothers and a sister Oof. and so um, and uh, so there's a lot of times where even when you have major disagreements with stuff especially family holidays now you got to be polite to your siblings even if you're not necessarily on good terms with them right uh, so I, I, I could definitely feel a lot of that in this and I you know could project a little bit but also the emperor you know knew what he was doing he knew that he was going to pit these two uh, two of his protégés against one another kind of see what happened because honestly Palpatine seems like a bored guy every time i see him he's just he's got to do something to fill his day he can't just sit there and have the the guards hanging out with the robes in the stabs it's just not not a good you have to do something for entertainment and i feel like that's totally something that prequel palpatine would do just for fun just to pit these two against each other so it, it does sort of fit with that whole sith philosophy that we saw later on right. where it's like yeah. you know there no problem with sith eating each other you know that's fine yeah. wipe each other out because the, only the strongest can survive kind of thing totally totally yep. that's kind of like the sort of like the major players in the thing so uh, and also a lot of cool new uh, vehicles and technology was uh, sort of introduced in here and so we've got like a, a, a some really cool new ships so the outrider Woo. which is kind of yeah kind of like a millennium falcon type deal but it's also it's so it's the yt freight fr- or not freighter it's like uh, cruiser class something like that but uh it's the yt2000 and it says in here that it's chrome plated yep. but i don't believe you it is it is the toys don't represent it but it was supposed to be chrome plated like if you look at it in um i want to say it was the alliance video game i can't remember but it was always had like a super high shine oh okay all right well i, yeah, I heard someone, it's got the dull gray plastic so that well, was just too. someone can write in and tell me i'm wrong in fact i'm looking at my outrider toy right now but we'll talk about that when we get to toys all right well i'm looking forward to that the swoop bikes of course big jizz and his gang and so it's basically just an engine with a seat. Looks like a land speeder, but meant for racing. And not, not um, land speeder, a speeder bike. Oh yeah. Have Oops. you seen the Have you seen the movies? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> only once or twice. It wasn't. I'm not a big fan actually. Uh, but it's basically just an engine with a seat, and it was uh, created for the special edition. But it actually appeared first in uh, Shadows of the Empire. Nice. So they added it in what A New Hope when they're. Uh, I that scene is oh, that scene is 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 just it's I love it so much, but it's executed so poorly, and it just looks like garbage but i love everything in it with the rontos and the jawa mm-hmm. anyways um it's than the also, java scene. <laughs> oh, we don't speak of the java scene <laughs> um there's also the virago his ship which we did talk a little bit before we talked here and i was like you were like what does that remind you of and uh i don't no, remember this, what this i is prince seizure ship you said his yeah. ship so that was kind of vague but yes oh, prince okay, yeah, ship. yeah prince prince Shizor's ship down by the seashore um <laughs> anyway 
the it's just like it looked a lot like to me looked like Count Dooku ship from episode mm-hmm. two with like the like I can imagine like the the gold foil coming out of the back. Oh, yeah. But you said it looked like a droidica, like a like one of the roll droids from episode one, which I'm totally in favor of. Like I, it looks very I don't know. It's it's a really well designed ship and it's perfect for him. It looks exactly like a, a guy like that would drive that ship, you know? Well, it was designed by a guy in Lucasfilm and oh, really? yeah, and he had some he, he like goes around the world and taking pictures of weird stuff and turns it into stuff later, uh, inspiring ideas. And he had this picture of some weird couple of machine pieces that he really thought looked interesting together. And it, that's where he came up with the Virago design. And after the picture I shared with you, which was one of the early design sketches, that's what made me think he got inspired by that same piece of whatever he took a photo of to turn it around and make the Droid Dika. Because at least that one design image we saw, wow, it looks like it. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then also the Stinger, the IG-2000, which is what, IG-88 ship? Yep. And the Houndstooth? That's Bosk's ship. So, oh, okay. And, and Stinger was Guri's ship. And all three of these, this is, uh, you know, IG-2000 and Houndstooth really became kind of a mainstay of the Expanded Universe later on, because that was what always IG-88 would fly around in afterwards, and that's what Bosk would fly around in afterwards. ig is amazing. Anyone who doesn't <laughs> like IG-88, you can leave. Um, <laughs> They're but anyways, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, the ASP droids, and they were also planned for the special edition. It's not the droid that is picking up the metal bar in that scene, right? Or it uh, is. I think it's the same, isn't it in the same Ronto scene? Where it's yeah, walking across yeah, yeah. the screen and picks up, yeah, it's like the little droid who picks something up, yeah. Um, but anyways, and this is a lot cooler drawn, and also it's got like a lightsaber attachment, which is really neat, because that's the one he spars with, right? Yep, that's the, exactly. Yeah. Right. Vader yeah, spars yeah, yeah. with it, yep. But it appeared first in Shadows of the Empire, because they just beat it to the, the movies coming out a year later. Yep. Very cool. Um, lots of cool stuff design-wise. I mean, you, you again, you really can't beat a lot of this stuff, especially for sort of over-the-top 90s aesthetic. It's great. Now, before we dive too deep into the various different medias, because that's what we're going to talk about next, I want to talk about some of the differences. As I mentioned to you, the main story is conveyed in the book, the video game, and the comic. Those are your three major mediums. There's a lot of other stuff involved here, but that's really where the crux of the story is, and that's where you get the full, complete picture if you do all three of them. Now, the book focuses on the overall sort of rebel imperial situation. So focuses on Luke and Leia and Lando, you know, basically our Star Warriors. The comic book instead, and I didn't realize, because I read the comic book a little later, I didn't read it at first, I'm like, well, I don't read, need to read the comic adaptation of the book, I read the book. When I found out it was different, uh, I then read it and found out that the comic really focuses on the adventures of Boba Fett and the other bounty hunters. None of that's in the book, though. It also focuses on this spy, Jix, that we talked about, who's working for Darth Vader and embedded in the Jabba Swoop Gang. And uh, there's also some select story beats from the book that make it uh, that make it into the comic, but not a lot of them. The video game focuses primarily on Dash Rendar and a lot of different... They try to pick out the best, best action sequences, and it actually starts a little bit earlier. It actually starts in Empire Strikes Back, moves its way through the novel, and then moves its way through the comics. So you actually get action beats from all of those different areas in the video game. And certain elements did appear in all three of them. Like, a good example would be the Swoop Gang attack on Tatooine. You know, in the novel, it's from Luke's perspective, and in the video game, it's from Dash's perspective. So it's just kind of interesting, a different way to see that Star Wars universe. Now, I can talk about the book real quick here. Again, I'm not doing recaps because we've already told you the kind of the story itself, but just some highlights of the book. The book was written by Steve Perry. From the band Journey, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, I didn't know he was so uh, multi-talented. And uh, <laughs> basically, the book is the headliner of the Shadows of the Empire event. You know, the, the video game and the comic are equally important, but really, the book was the, you know, the quote-unquote film. It was the key component of the whole thing. The cover of the book was drawn by Drew Struzan. Now, I wasn't oh, familiar yeah. with this name until I looked it up. I'm like, oh, of course. He did 
He's done tons and tons and tons and tons of movie posters, including many of the Star Wars movie posters, many of the Indiana Jones posters, the Back to the Future posters, all those. So you, you can't help but know who this guy is when you really look into it. He's he's phenomenal. There's actually a uh, documentary. I don't know exactly oh. what it's called, but it's a documentary about him and his process for creating both the Star Wars movie posters and uh, the different stuff that he's done. And uh, it's phenomenal. Drew Struzan is one of the best artists currently going like it's just his artwork is beautiful and the book cover is amazing yeah you got a you got a giant image of the emperor in the background and in the foreground you've got luke in this new outfit they've designed for shadows of the empire you got a shot of vader you've got shizor and on the back you get leia you get boba fett who's not even in the book but he's part of the storyline obviously and then you get the swoop uh so it's really nice well done well put together it's called drew the man behind the poster came out in 2013 yeah. it's okay. a wonderful highly recommended well some things about the book, you really get a chance to get into the heads of Luke and Leia, uh, as well as getting into the head of Vader and Shizor. And that's not something much, uh, many of the medias uh, had done up to this point. You really didn't get into Vader's head before now. There'd be action scenes where things were happening in books and stuff like that, and you were in the heads of other characters, but usually Vader was more of a force that was acting against the main character. Here, Vader is actually a, a major protagonist. Also, th- this book famously reveals the secret of how the many Bothans died to get the plans for the new second Death Star. They, they outlay that whole thing in the book. There is also a junior novelization of this book. I've never seen that. That'd be fun to see, though. And th- this book does conclude with the, and sorry, spoilers, of the death of Shizor, uh, Dash Rendar, and Guri. Basically, they introduce all these new characters, and they kill them off in the book. Except we find out you know, later on that some of these people did survive. So Dash Rendar lives. Well, and so does Guri. So, uh, well, I didn't see that, but yeah, I, I believe you. I believe we'll, you. I just we'll didn't read that. Bit. Oh, okay. Well, now I've got a lot of notes on the book real quick. What, what, <laughs> what are your general thoughts? On, uh, we've talked about the rapiness. Let's, let's just move past that. What are your other thoughts on the book? Well, I, I didn't like it. I didn't like, I bought it. I bought it from a local bookstore. I paid $3 for it. I don't, I don't hate it, but most of that's from the Drew Struzan cover. I will probably display it on my shelf as something that I read half of. Also, I've got some notes in the back of mine. Earlier in the project, I was, I was going to, you know, talk about all the really egregious EU stuff in it, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we're, we're covering point by point. So I, I just, I couldn't finish it, dude. Like I honestly, wow. I just, I, I had to get some cliff notes because it was just rough as far as that goes. I vastly preferred the comic. And uh, I loved a lot of the other stuff. I love I love Shadows of the Empire, but the book is just Steve Perry's. Unfortunately, not my style of writer. And I, they're also just I got icked out, man, by a right. lot of the sure. yeah. It's sure. just it was it was and it was a slog to read. So unfortunately, uh, there are definitely better EU books out there. <laughs> right. I I have to agree to, to some extent. I, I didn't hate the book. I did enjoy reading it, but I will say that by the time I got done, I realized that my love for Shadows of the the Empire comes from the phenomena itself yeah. rather than the book. Gonna just trip hammer through some quick notes I have here. Like I really like the economics, you know, involved in here. Like they talk about the, the super wealthy, you know, how Vader and, and she's working by planets and things like that. You know, Shizor uses his wealth as power. He actually hires the Emperor's gardener away as you know just to show his power. And then the, I know, did like that part. I like that part a lot actually. I thought that was cool. Well, the Emperor then has the gardener killed before his first day of work. So things like that. You, you really yeah. get to see the the seedy underbelly of the Star Wars universe. Universe, the dark, you know, the underworld, which is kind of an interesting thing. I opened that up. Um, sort of a proto Canto bite. Oh, uh, don't, don't go there. I, I love that what? movie. I love that movie. I don't care for that that sequence. Anyway, um, oh, well, that's fine. I, I did. Thought, I liked it a lot. I thought they used Lando very effectively in the book. You know, he got to do so because you forget at this point 
Leia, Luke, and Chewie don't necessarily have a lot of reasons to trust Lando, other than the fact that he fits in Han's clothes. You know, it's so the fact (laughs) this book builds a lot of goodwill for Lando between Empire and Return. I like that. There is one sequence in the book that's amazing. It's about Vader healing. Okay, he he's in this deprivation tank, right, and he's harnessing his anger and the dark side energies to try and heal himself because you know he's this charred icky thing and so he's using the dark side to heal himself and he actually is able to use the dark side to do so he can survive without his suit for up to two full minutes so this is new for him he's he's healing he's getting better but here's the problem that's 10 rounds in uh, game time <laughs> well, and his, his issue is that every time he's able to breathe without pain which is great he would feel joy or relief which then would then dampen his anger uh oh because his anger is what's fueling the dark side right so he basically his joy is undoing the healing effect so it's this vicious circle where he continues to be handicapped at his joyous success so um, it does it does that does make a lot of sense though if you like you based on return of the jedi mm -hmm. when he was like let me take off my mask and look upon you with my own eyes whatever that is a good setup for this it's did kind of come through as kind of a little bit schlocky a little bit you know what i mean like the healing yeah, I liked it. I loved it. it I thought it was cool. It didn't work as, as it's cool. I I don't know. I I don't disagree with it. It also, but it just seems very of a time and place the way it was described. And that could be. See, we're coming at it from different angles. I'm coming at it as somebody who read it in 1996 when this was new ah, and it was cool. Awesome. And it's like yeah. wow. And since then, they've done so much Vader literature that you it's know you're, you're coming it's at true. it from a, a new guy's my, perspective. My so. Vader's probably a little different than yours. So. Yeah, he is. Yeah, my, mine. Um, you can see through the red lenses. Anyway, I do like the red <laughs> lenses. Um. Anyways, a couple other things. There, there's interesting sequence where both Shizor and Vader are trying to track down Luke, right? Shizor wants to kill him. Vader wants to, to bring him into the dark side, right? And being that Shizor is trying to kill Luke, the reader is sort of forced to root for Vader because you want Luke to survive. I mean, obviously, you know he does, but you can't help but cheer for Vader, which was an interesting position to put the reader in. So I kind of like that aspect. It's kind of emblematic, though, of like the 1990s thing where it's because, you know, I'm able to look at pop culture backwards because mm-hmm. I didn't, I lived through it, but I didn't, wasn't like aware of like meta text, you know, kind of like wrestling did in like the 19. 19- 90s where there's like bad guys and worse guys sure. and like Shizor is the worst guy <laughs> like right. he's definitely straight up the worst so of course you can root for Vader because it's like you know someone who's evil and then someone who's unthinkably evil yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah it's like totally. Punisher and Venom from Marvel yeah 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 there's a lot of stuff not to like we talked about the sex stuff already but like mm-hmm. uh, there's other stuff too where like Leia kidnaps Guri <sighs> Right? To, when she meets Guri, the android. And yeah. there's this whole sequence of like where she desperately wants to know how Guri works. And is she, you know, what is she? She's not human. I don't understand. They drug her. They kidnap her. They do all this stuff just to find out what Guri is. I'm like, in a cosmos full of different aliens, why do you care? You know, it just, it seemed very unnatural for the characters. It seemed like it was a plot point forced to give you more info on Guri. And I, I didn't care for that. Also, um, while they're doing that, the, the tech isn't incompatible with the tech we see on screen. Like they were talking about like the way that, I don't know, the, the tripwires and the whatever, uh, in Shizor's place works or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it seemed a lot like the technology level is way higher than anything we see in A New Hope or even Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. That's um, true. yeah. And so it's like that power creep that happened in a lot of EU stuff. But anyways, I just wanted to mention that real quick. No, it's very, very fair point. There's this weird opening sequence. The first time we see Luke, he's walking on a circus high wire on Tatooine. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. Which is like, what? Um, <laughs> now, there's some other stuff, too. Like, they do a lot of building towards Return of the Jedi. Like, uh, <laughs> Leia gets the Bausch disguise, you know, the bounty yeah, disguise. Yeah. They get the thermal detonators and stuff like that that they use in Jabba's Palace. And, and like, 
I can't separate myself enough from this, I don't think, to figure out whether that's cool that they built that as a bridge, or if it's just too on the nose. Uh, it's definitely cool. Like, okay. anything with the bounty hunters is fine in this. Like, actually, that's the, one of the, the strong points for me in this, in this is, like, expanding the idea of the bounty hunters and the whole, like, Bausch is a great design, and mm-hmm. I really enjoyed being able to, like, find out the back history of how that came to be, and, like, also, you know, as a kid, having the, the we'll, we'll talk about the action figures later, but that was a great play. There's a lot of play value in the Boosh disguise for Leia. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Definitely. And, the la- you know, the last kind of, like, big picture thought of the book, like, in some respects, the book was kind of like the prequels, which is, we know how the story has to end, you mm-hmm. know? But for me, it was still enjoyable. To, it was enjoyable for the most part. Again, there's certain things I could do without. But as part of the whole Shadows of the Empire experience, you know, I'm, I'm glad I read it. Oh, me too. All right. Well, you read half of it, you mean? Um, well, as an experience... <laughs> Shag. All right, up next in the media ex- uh, explosion with Star Wars Shadows of the Empire, the comic book, a six-issue miniseries by Dark Horse Comics, written by John Wagner, pencils by Killian Plunkett and John Nadu, I don't, uh, inked by P. Craig Russell, uh, and the covers by Hugh Flemings. And basically, the, again, the gist of the comic is it is Boba Fett's journey, and because uh, we only got a glimpse of Slave One in the book, that's it. Uh, Fett is attacked by IG-88, which ends up damaging Slave One, forcing him to seek out repairs. Later, he tangles with Bosk and Zuck. And Forlom, which and is it's great awesome. Opp- yeah, which is a great opportunity to pull your action figures out and play with all those again. Uh, <laughs> you, we've talked extensively about Jix working for Vader and uh, in the, embedded in the swoop, swoop gang. Big Jix, uh, right? And then <laughs> in the end, uh, Fett proves that he's the, still the best by tricking the other bounty hunters and delivers Han Solo to Jabba the Hutt. So you said you liked the comic book more than the book. What did you like about the comic? Gorgeous covers and also lots of bounty hunter action. That's the parts that I liked. Anytime they were like dealing with like Luke, Leia, God. The Leia outfit is just the purple one. Not good. Um, mm. they, did, they did a bad job, and they should feel bad about doing a bad job. And also, I mean, like I like Luke's vest. I think it's cool, like that he's got like design wise, he's got like something that like this is Shadows of the Empire Luke. When he's wearing the vest, he's Shadows of the Empire Luke. Um, and that's cool. But like basically anything, like a lot of it didn't work for me. And also a lot of the like facial features, like they kind of like the Dark Horse. Uh, I don't know if they had like a really house style, but maybe for their Star Wars stuff they did, where like they definitely had a real interesting take on what the characters look like. Princess Leia was not drawn very well in this comic book at all. Um, I loved the covers. I, anything to do with, like, uh, anytime if somebody was masked or a lot of the uh, bounty hunter stuff was just really cool action. The swoop, swoop Gang stuff was cool. Jabba's Palace stuff was cool. Like, there's a lot of cool stuff. I, I think the art's absolutely gorgeous. A Killian Plunkett guy is amazing. I was reading up on him. Apparently, all the ships and stuff like that, uh, a lot of people use, like, real models and stuff like that so they get the perspectives because there's a massive space battle in the beginning, which takes place immediately after Empire Strikes Back. Oh, and, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people use, like, models and stuff. He just he just knows what the ship looks like. He just draws it, which is amazing. And I, I, you got hung up on the faces. I didn't. I've read enough comic adaptations over the years. I don't get hung up on likenesses. <laughs> yeah, okay. You used to read those old, the old Marvel comics. Right. Where, like, uh, <laughs> exactly. I, like, listen, I love Howard Chaykin, but the, no. <laughs> Like well, the... so I so I enjoyed the action in this. I love the coloring in this. You, you talk about a Dark Horse house style. To me, uh, the Dark Horse house style is the coloring of the '90s and sort of like the dirty tech. Those are two things they're exceptional at. And Kel, uh, Killian Plinkett really brought it for this. So uh, while the comic itself didn't like grab me tremendously, uh, and I think I know why, and I'll say that in a second, uh, I did enjoy the art. You know, and I loved the Boba Fett sequence. Anything with the Boba Fett sequence I thought was fun. The rest of it, like my, here's my 
my issue with it is that the stuff with Leia and, uh, and Luke and Dash and Lando and all that stuff, basically they were just pulling little scenes from the novel that they felt was important to convey the, mm. the main thrust of it. Unfortunately, I don't know that the book makes sense without reading the novel. All those sequences with Luke and Dash and all that, like the, the Boba Fett stuff certainly does. Oh, yeah. That, no, that's where they excel. It's just, it's, it's just all sort of sprinkled. Like, yeah. You can get the gist of what's going on. Like You don't have to know everything what's going on to enjoy it. But yeah, definitely, there's a lot of things where it kind of seems like the, the connective tissue is not strong between the comic and the, the book. Right. But when they're telling their own story, unique story, does it very well, I think. Yeah, so totally agree. Also, uh, I, I like Chicken's artwork in the original Star Wars series, um, even though the likenesses aren't very good. But him as a person, I don't know anything about. So you have to be careful nowadays <laughs> when making declarative statements. I, I actually, when Dark Horse was getting rid of the license or, you know, was having the license taken away from them, I did a humble bundle and I got the classics, the first thing of the classics, and I've been rereading those and there's some crazy stuff in there too. So, but anyways, very good stuff. All right. Why don't you take us through the video game? I've seen pulse cannons and gladiator droids. I've seen beggars cannon and imperial sewers. I've seen dead ends and infinite space. I've seen 360 degrees of tomorrow, and for once, live to tell about it, because I've got the ultimate fighting machine. All right, well, I'm going to make this real quick, because it's best remembered in the hazy nostalgia of your childhood, or your young adulthood, or your after-collegehood, if you're a million years old. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm sick burn. Uh, you, you play as Dash Rendar for a lot of it, I think for the entire thing. Yes. Unless you're using those sweet cheat codes, and then you get to play as a Wampa sometimes. Really? Um, but I didn't I, know that. Okay, oh, wow. Yeah, you, no, you can play as a Wampa, you can play the play an AT-AT. The cheat codes are just top-notch. You can fly an X-Wing or a TIE Fighter in the uh, some nice. of the space battle stuff. The, the cheat codes are just one of the best parts of this. You can play as a, as a snow trooper. You can go through one of the levels as a snow trooper, but you, Dash Rendar is right next to you the whole time. It's wonderful. <laughs> so it was actually kind of push the envelope for what N64 games could do. When they were making the game, the N64 didn't exist. But it was even for that, it was pushing the boundaries of uh, what you could do with games like that. The Rocket Pack gameplay was one of the greatest. People still talk about the Rocket Pack physics wow. um, as one of the best things that ever you know existed on the N64 platform. Unfortunately, that means that when you're walking, though, the, the way that Dash Rendar had to move, it's so hard to move him when he's not in, on the Rocket Pack. So it's like he almost like Tokyo drifts everywhere. Like it's just, um, it's 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 terrible. Uh, anyways, it was uh, it sold one million copies in uh, by 1997, which is just huge. Uh, everybody I know had or had played Shadows of the Empire growing up in this time period. And also the the Hoth level is another highlight where at, that's the reason that after that, like the Hoth level was almost if you made a Star Wars game that was set during this time period, you had to have a Hoth level, and that's this game legacy um that so yeah and also you could kill wampas and stuff and um and if you played the game all the way through on anything higher than easy which i did not i found out about, about this later when i was an adult but uh <laughs> the uh there was a special cutscene that shows that dash rendar actually survived the uh implosion of the skyhook or the explosion of the skyhook and the death of and destruction of the uh shadows of the empire storyline kind of like gave either an alternate ending or an actual canonical ending in this in the series for him 
him surviving. So yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about the video game. Did you ever? Did you get a chance to play the video game? Uh, I never did as a kid. I almost bought, or not as a kid, but I almost bought an N64 just to be able to play this game. I was that <sighs> excited about it. And then I realized I suck at video games, so I didn't. <laughs> but I did download when you and I started planning this out a year ago. Uh, I did. I did download an emulator for my oh, PC. Oh, sounds like hell. And, it sounds like hell. <laughs> well, I, I downloaded the emulator and I downloaded the game and I opened it up. I played it for a few minutes. I was able to destroy about five probots uh, in my snow speeder before I died repeatedly. I'm like, okay, you know what? I destroyed a probot. I feel like this is a success for me. So that was the end of that. Yeah, I can imagine. The game's also famous for a few other things. Like there's a big battle with IG-88 and Ord Mantel. Um, yeah. Which is cool that we get to see the junk planet. Like that was another highlight of, of the, the thing is we actually, when you say the bounty hunter he ran to on Ord Mantel – and then we get to see Ord Mantel, and it's a junk planet? That's yeah. so awesome. And, and apparently that scene is famous for, you had to jump, you're on this rocket train, and you have to jump from car to car, and people still talk about what a pain in the ass that was. <laughs> oh, yeah, but it's actually, uh, for graphics-wise, they actually, it was a miracle. They shouldn't have actually been able to make that level, and they did somehow, so it's a, another feat of engineering. But a lot of good things on the technical side, other than, of course, the sliding around. But, yeah, it's definitely worth um, maybe watching a YouTube video of someone playing through it. Don't actually – you don't have to seek it out yourself. <laughs> well, if you're a classic gamer fan, again, I know I keep pimping this book, The Making the Shadows of the Empire, but there's a whole chapter where the creators talk about the behind-the-scenes, like why they chose a cartridge system versus a, a CD system and talked about how much memory they could save and pixels and, and different polygons and stuff like that. So all the stuff you're just talking about is really interesting. So Also, the cutscenes are really cool. Like if you mm-hmm. just get a chance to see the cutscenes, they're like – like the style of them is really neat. So – Captain, I do not understand. Why do you not want Commander Skywalker and the others to know that we survived and made the jump to hyperspace? Well, as much fun as that was, I don't see us joining the ranks of that crazy rebellion. Too dangerous and too much money to be made elsewhere, my friend. On top of that, someone from Black Sun will take Shizor's place. And when that happens, you can bet your servo motors they'll send every thug in the galaxy after us. But if everyone thinks we're dead, who's going to be looking? Besides, it's good to be remembered as a martyr without actually having to be dead, wouldn't you say? All right, now I think we'll talk about my personal favorite, the toys, Woo-hoo! which, uh, of course, another plug here for my own thing. But uh, I actually am one of the co-hosts of the Force 95 podcast, currently on YouTube, and we're exploring other options. For, <laughs> Sky- uh, skywriting? <laughs> yeah. So, And that covers, basically, we're starting at 1995, and we're going all the way through 2001 with Power of the Jedi line. Oh, um, cool. And uh, we're also going to be covering Episode 1, and, of course, Shadows of the Empire. And uh, But the, the toy line is just, like I said before, superb. But just from a from a, a marketing standpoint, from a visual standpoint, just beautiful, gorgeous cards. It's the the classic Power of the Force two with the, the Vader outline, but it instead of having the the red beam or the green beam, it's a purple beam, and they use the sort of holographic uh, decals. I actually, have a. I, I peeled it off of when I when I bought them carded. I peeled off the Dash Rendar and the uh, the Shizor, and I actually have them affixed to the front of my laptop. Nice, uh, because I was able to peel them off just the right way. And I was like, this is this is the best. So it's just gorgeous. They're gorgeous holographic images, and then uh, the actual play value, like I said before, with Princess Leia, the the toy line didn't have hardly any missteps. But I'm just going to run through them real quick. Dash Rendar came with a heavy weapons backpack, so sort of a, like a rocket pack, but it also had this 
like extender thing that came out and attached to his gun. So it was kind it of like, like a, a Vasquez kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really neat though. And then uh, Prince Shizor, and he came with two energy blade shields, uh, which kind of look like sort of like uh, Japanese fighting fans, mm-hmm. like a uh, like Mortal Kombat style. Pretty cool, pretty cool. Um, and then uh, <laughs> that's that's one way to describe them, but okay. <laughs> I I think they're neat. Okay. Um, but anyways, Chewbacca as the bounty hunter Snuva, um, and he came with a vibro axe and a heavy blast rifle and a buzz cut. Yeah, and an eye he patch. looks like he's gonna he looks like he's gonna go to a college campus and harass some liberal college arts or liberal arts college students. <laughs> um, but anyways, he's he's and also like in the in the comic I didn't see it, but on the the actual actual action figure, he's got like spots, like almost like yeah. cheetah spots, like yeah. he did some with the, the spray paint that you get at the fair and you can make your hair green for a few days. Right. Uh, and he, that's what I just imagine him doing that real quick before he walks into the thing there. Um, anyways, and then also a uh, land Bausch disguise, which was also released in the regular line as a Return of the Jedi figure. But this is supposed to be um, there's no difference at all. It was just the just the, the packaging that was different. But I got a lot of play out of that one as a kid. I loved it because you could either make her Bausch and play as you know that character or Princess Leia as Bausch or just Princess Leia. So it's just a lot of play value. And uh, she came with a, a blaster rifle and a uh, the bounty hunter helmet, of course. Real quick, that is that is the only Shadows of the Empire action figure I didn't buy. I bought all the other ones. I did oh, really? Not, well, I didn't buy this one because I already owned the original Kenner one. Oh. Uh, with it from from Return of the Jedi, where the helmet came off, and I'm like, well, I'm right. actually a big a big fan of the vintage one too. I love um, the vintage one, so I thought, you know what? Yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. need this one. I, I used to do that. I had all my vintage ones. I still have all my vintage Star Wars figures. And what I would do is when I when the, as the Power Force were coming out, if it was a character I didn't have from the original run, I would buy it. Like I would buy uh, Grand Moff Tarkin, or I bought mm. Wedge Wen- Antilles, but I wouldn't buy a new Luke. I already had a Luke, so that's how I purchased my Star Wars figures. Interesting. Obviously, could expound on uh, my my history with the Power of the Force two line, but yeah, no, great. I, we don't have I, another seven hours. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So uh, also, Luke Skywalker in the Imperial Guard disguise. Now, I read the book. I read most of the book. I read well. Okay, I read half the book, and I read the comic book. Is he ever in this thing in the in the story of Shadows of the Empire? I don't um, remember. I want to say yes, but now that you say that. I, and I just read the book not too long ago. I'm trying to remember where it was. He must, he must have been at some point. When they went on to Coruscant, uh, and it's mislabeled here. It says Imperial Guard. It's not an Imperial Guard. It's an Imperial no. Trooper is what it is. Yeah. Which yeah, is like yeah. a halfway step between like a Stormtrooper and an Imperial Guard. It's basically red, but anyway. It's um, a cool looking figure. It it's is really neat. I, he, he must have taken the outfit. Of, I think when him and, yes, he, when him and Lando went to Coruscant before they went in the underground with, uh, Dash, they, Luke had to get in disguise and so they they got an outfit yes as i seem okay wrong. all right if I've well, got that anyways, wrong, uh, correct me in the comments folks but why wouldn't they just like they could just swap out body molds and have him with the vest that makes sense all the materials mm-hmm. he's got the vest you could just put i guess you could peel off a vest from a greedo but like <laughs> who wants to do that and also it's got the ridges and stuff i, I just why wouldn't you do that that makes yeah. way more sense to me and, and this um, outfit that he's talking about is it, it, it was purposely designed to look like a halfway step between his vestment fatigues and his black outfit from return of the jedi it's purposeful middle step where it's a black bodysuit basically uh like return of the jedi but he's wearing this tan uh, vest, hunting like vest yeah, yeah which is sort of like a nod to the vestment fatigues so yeah uh so as a kid i actually had uh my dad there was four of us kids when i was in wisconsin 
And so we actually had, uh, I was around all four of these action figures. Um, and actually through trades, I managed to get two of them from my, my siblings. But we had the, uh, Prince Shizor versus Darth Vader with a purple lightsaber. There was a, uh, a mess up and the Darth Vader lightsaber ended up a lot more purple than it should have because mm. the black, the black end, the black dye, I guess. I don't know. I don't know why it did it. But anyways, it was like almost like a, a solid purple, which I thought was kind of cool because it looked like the purple lightsaber from the packaging. But anyways, and then uh, they also had the Boba Fett versus IG-88, which was also a really cool one. So I ended up getting Darth Vader. My Darth Vader is a Shadows of the Empire Vader from 95. Nice. And then also the IG-88, which I love. But uh, anyways, and then also Kenner did release some vehicles. So they actually did a big version of the Outrider, which I always wanted. I saw it in a series catalog in like 1996 and i was just like remember sears catalogs oh yeah i'm i'm old as dirt too surprise <laughs> um anyways but like they had the whole line and i was like that is the coolest spaceship that i've ever seen i've only ever seen an in-person once and that was at my co-host house aaron aaron johnson or aaron kep as he goes by on the the podcast he has it and it's wonderful and i'm so jealous right, so anyways if, if you listen closely this is the noise of the outrider action Opening it, spinning it. That is the central section of the ship spinning weirdly like a like a B wing, which makes no sense. It, does, it doesn't do this in the, in the book or video game or anything at all. But um, the central piece spins. I love this. I love this toy. I love this toy so much. Oh, I'm. I'm. I, next time I see one, I'm just. I'm buying it. I'm, I don't care. <laughs> We're gonna be late on rent for several <laughs> months. I don't care. I'm getting that figure. So, uh, but yeah. So they they released the Outrider. They also had a Slave One uh, version of Boba Fett spaceship that came with. I believe it. It didn't come with Han and Carbonite, but it came with a Carbonite placeholder um, really? type thing. Because like obviously the the Han from the line was like the or from the Power of the Force two line. You you could snap him in and then you could snap him out basically. Um, and so he was just wearing the, the costume from when he came out of the thing. Well, not the double breasted one actually when he got put in, I should say, but it, this came with like sort of a thing, but it, I, I believe it came with a Boba Fett. I'm not sure, but it was very cool. And I think they re-released it later on just regular in the power of the force two line. Of course, swoop by with swoop trooper. If you get a chance, buy one. They literally, they go on eBay for like, uh, seven to $10, buy one and it will, bring you so much joy it is wonderful if you like anything shadows of the empire i cannot recommend and also it's just fun to like if you're gonna have one action figure on your desk it's got a lot of mobility and it gets goofy looking so you can just like i'm a big fan of the swoop trooper. i like the swoop i've got the swoop bike i don't have the slave one uh but i had the i had the outrider i had the swoop bike and the swoop Tro- i thought the swoop trooper looked pretty cool too he did and actually in wisconsin i didn't have i had the princess leia with and bosch disguise in missouri but when i went to go visit i didn't have a princess leia so Swoop Trooper became Princess Leia in Bausch outfit. So she was just wearing a different version of the, the Bausch costume. And that was like what I used as my Princess Leia was the Swoop Trooper. So again, more play value out of Bausch slash Princess Leia slash Swoop Trooper. Nice. <laughs> um, but anyways, and then they actually were planning on making a Virago ship, but they never did. And you sent me a picture of the uh, mock-up for it, and mm-hmm. it would have been awesome. I'm mad that they didn't make it. I got to think that because it had so many moving parts, like it was sort of like a butterfly, sort of the way the wings would open and stuff like that i gotta think that they couldn't construct it in such a way that it wouldn't break easy because all four of those little panels the joint is really small and a kid playing with that it would just snap the pieces pretty quick that that's my only guess we have nothing to back that up but that is that also the more the more moving pieces the harder it is to produce 
That's and true. it would have you, the, the price point out thing would have been a, you know, $112 back in 1996 <laughs> or something. I, I, um, I got one last comment about those action figures I, I, I wanted to say. I was thrilled with this set because I got a Luke in the Corellian Guard, right? I got Leia as Bausch. I got Chewie as a Bounty Hunter. And I, and I had my Lando as a Skiff Guard, right, already. Yeah. And I had my Han as a Stormtrooper already. So I I loved having, like, my Star Wars espionage squad. Like, everyone yes. was in disguise. I would I would set up scenarios. I mean, I didn't – okay, yes, I did actually put them in toys. Uh, and they would, you know, as a grown adult. And they would have little adventures. In disguise, I loved it. <laughs> it's the best. No, I, I still rearrange my action figures often, but uh, yeah, it's so cool. Just lots of play value. Yep. Prepare yourself for Star Wars: Shadows of the Empire. The cruel crime lord Shizor directs the Carbonite capture of Han Solo and his imprisonment aboard bounty hunter Boba Fett's battle-ready Slave One. Now, Luke Skywalker goes undercover with Soldier of Fortune Dash Rendar as he rips through space in his battle transforming outright. But can they stop Slave One in time? It's the ultimate ships for the ultimate battle. Dare to enter the shadows, Star Wars, Shadows of the Empire. Because in vehicles, each sold separately from Kenner. Um, of course, the Micro Machines, they released a few different collections that pretty much hit all of the big things. Collection 1, the ASP came with the Darth Vader uh, Micro Machines, which I love. I love those so much. I have a big collection. The IG-2000, Guri, and Stinger. Uh, collection 2 was Prince Shizor with the Virago, Emperor Palpatine, good old Sheev himself, and the Swoop Rider. And uh, Collection number 3, the Houndstooth, the LEB-0. Lebo. Uh, Lebo. And then uh, Dash Rendar, Lucy. Skywalker in the vest and the Outrider. And then, of course, Action Fleet, which was cool. It wasn't cool as the original uh, Micro Machines, whatever. Was They did release a Virago in there that came with a Prince Shizor and Guri, and uh, th- those would normally come with two different ones. So I got an A-Wing, I got the A-Wing pilot, and I got a C-3PO. Go figure. But they also had the Battle Packs, so those are just the figures, and they come with uh, Prince Shizor, Guri, Chewbacca, Lebo, Dash Render, Jix, and some Swoops. No big jizz, though. And, uh, <laughs> now, now i got some questions here, because I've still got my Shadows of the Empire sh- micro-machines. I had uh, a Collection 1 and Collection 3, because I want I, I wanted uh, the ships. I wanted the IG-2000. I wanted the the Outrider. You know, those that's what I want, and the Hounds, too. So that, those are the ones I bought. Now, I don't know, what is, what is Action Fleet? Like, I help me out here. Oh, it was, so it was, like, it was just larger. So it would be about the same size as, like, sort of, like, you know, the Snap-type model kits that they have now. Okay. They are, are they metal or plastic? One, plastic so they're like one step below so the i think i used to know all the the scales but like they're like 0.05 millimeter for the micro machines okay these ones are twice as big so they're a different scale they're like so it would be like ho and then o scale and trains huh. they would be like larger so so, so it's like micro machines and not quite so micro machines yeah, yeah, yeah. and they had like uh, points of articulation so their arms moved uh they bended the waist and their legs were like stuck together on like little pegs hmm. but like google them or, or you know when you get a chance if anyone's like curious about this they're cool but like i I grew up with the micro machines, so I have a lot more love for those. So, oh, and then the applause, of course, vinyl figures, uh, which I've never seen, but I now I must have them. You've and never seen them? No, I want them. I love the applause vinyls. Um, so they were hard molded vinyl figures of Shizor, Dash, and one of the Emperor with Shizor and Vader as well. The model kits, of course, from Ertl, which I had the uh, the ones that came with the mini-comics, uh, but they also did a Virago, a Shizor, and an Emperor in that one. I bet the Virago model's pretty cool. You can find them all over eBay. 
guy. But yeah. uh, so okay, so the applause vinyl figures, dude. I am shocked you've never seen one of these because back in 1996, when these things first came out. Everybody had them. Uh, every comic, every specialty store, every comic book store had them. You know, Suncoast Video, if you remember them, they had tons of these things, and nobody was buying them. So not only were they there in 1996, they were there in 1997, they were there in 1998. They were stuffed everywhere, and nobody could sell them, and they just hung around. Uh, I remember the Dash Rendar especially being the one that they just couldn't sell, and it just everywhere you went there was a Dash Rendar. So they, oh, were, man. they were about um, maybe 10 inches tall, if I recall correctly. They didn't have any oh, art- they're the big ones. They're yeah, not the yeah. little ones. And they didn't have any oh, okay. articulation or anything. It was yeah. just this giant chunk of vinyl that didn't move. It was like, maybe the arm joints moved. I don't know. But it was like, hey, here's a in-action figure, you know? <laughs> yeah. I did kind of applause so much, but I thought they were like, they came in like a little like three-pack or, you know. No, nope. individuals. So. All right. Well, as a kid, I lost it after a lot of the uh, episode one applause stuff that came out. Uh, but I, I've always loved those uh, a lot. Well, hey, somebody had to like episode one. Fair enough. <laughs> it's me. I'm the guy. I'm that guy. Um. <laughs> well, it didn't just stop there. There was more, folks. There was a trading card series. Because remember, this is the 90s. Non-sports trading cards are explosive. You know, and you got to have your <laughs> you got to have your hologram chase cards and all that stuff. Never so. forget. I just as even as a kid, I knew I knew about this in a big bad way. <laughs> You know, it's, it, you can find, I don't know about these particular cards, but you can find all kinds of 90s trading cards on eBay, dirt cheap. And I went through uh, a couple years ago uh, a spell where I was buying like Ultraverse, boxes of Ultraverse trading oh, cards, nice. and just ripping open the foil pack. It was like a drunken binge where you, like, you get the box, you're like, well, I'll open one pack tonight. And then you open one pack, and then next thing you know, you're laying in a bo- on the bottom of uh, your floor, your bathroom, <laughs> covered in foil wrappers going, what have I done to myself? So, all right. Anyway, this trading card series was uh, done by Greg and Tim Hildebrandt. which Legend. They were legends, especially in the 90s. They were massive. They they did basically they were famous for doing sort of fantasy based paintings, but with a realistic flair to them, kind of like um, mm. fantasy book covers. You know, that's kind of their style. If you think about that. Anyway, the, the the trading card series had 70 images that were dedicated to the concepts of the novel, and then the, another 30 cards that were images inspired by the comic and the video game. And if you go through the cards, you can actually see the progression of you know here's the story of the book. Okay, here's the story of the video game. Okay, here's the story of the comic. Follows like that. Uh, it's interesting reading about them in the making of a book because they spent four months on the sum- thumbnail sketches. Like, first they wow. had to read the book and they had to flag all these things they thought might make good ideas. They had to go learn it by Lucasfilm. And then it took four months to do those thumbnails. Could you imagine? You're an artist. Could you imagine spending four months on this project? Yeah, sadly, yes. <laughs> I'm like, it boggles my mind, but for a project this big, that's pretty standard. You know, it takes a long time to make art, even if you're very good at it. Even if you're very quick, it takes a long time. When they work in paints, um, not, not pencils. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's gorgeous. It's just really beautiful, beautiful stuff. And you can actually see all of these cards online nowadays. There's a great website called TradingCardDB. That's all just all together, TradingCardDB.com. And it's this great site where you can see tons of old trading card series. And just go in there, type in the search box, Shadows of the Empire, and you'll be able to go through and see them. And you'll see all kinds of other weird Shadows of the Empire uh, trading card promotions. Like there's some on uh, Kellogg's cereal boxes and things like that. Oh, very cool. Now, for me personally, th- this may be uh, you know heresy, but I'm not the world's biggest fan of the Hildebrands. Oh, really? I mean, yeah. that's fine. It's, it's you know, it's just it, art is subjective. And, you know, I, I really like that. I would put them next to, like, Glenn Orbeck and uh, Alex Ross as far as, like, the sort of you know realism ish 
place. Um, I'm not there with you. Okay, that's fine. Well, I'm just saying, like, in the style of, you don't have to like them as much, but I would say if I were lining up people that do art that is similar, I always think of that. I'll just put it that way. I always think of those two other people when I think of the Hildebrands, but... Well, that's how they were regarded in the 90s. That's how people saw them. I just, to me, their stuff has almost like a, a cartoony or caricature sort of aspect and their colors are really really over the top bright bright garish colors so they just never i don't know they've never done a lot for me so that's hey, anyway. that's fine all right uh let's keep moving on here it's so wrong but that's fine fair. everyone's entitled to be wrong and maybe it's my turn so um <laughs> it's, it was bound to happen sooner or later so uh up next is one of my absolute favorite things that came out of the shadows of the empire something that as far as i'm concerned is now canon for me is the soundtrack yes there's oh. a a soundtrack so to the Shadows of the Empire phenomena. It is not a soundtrack to the book. It's a soundtrack to the phenomena of Shadows of the Empire. It is not intended to be read as you're reading the book. It's not how it's laid out. It takes the John Williams inspiration. You know, it even starts off with the Star Wars theme and then weaves in other themes uh, from subjects from the book and, and from the from the whole phenomena. And it's really well done. It, it, the composer was Joel McNeely. All right, so he already had some experience working for Lucasfilm. He had done uh, some big band music for Radio Land Murder. And he'd done a bunch of music for the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. So Lucas, you scamp. <laughs> he had some experience doing sort of John Williams esque type music, and the whole idea was conceived. And this is again from the making of book uh, from by Lucasfilm again. Lucy uh, Audrey Wilson, we owe her a lot for this, and uh, a guy over at Varese uh, Sara Band, I guess is how you say it. Records, Robert Townsend. These two sort of conceived the idea that they kind of had this idea, like let's do a let's do a soundtrack for the book. And they had this is where the idea came out of. They had previously discussed doing a soundtrack for Timothy Zahn's Star Wars trilogy. Oh my Ooh, god! That would, would be cool. I would shiv you, Andy, to have a <laughs> Thorn Tron trilogy soundtrack. Sorry, buddy. I love you, but I need that more in my life. I, I would give my life willingly for that, maybe. Yeah. That's, there's worse ways to go. <laughs> Uh, it'd have to be a vibro shift, though. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah there's yeah. some RPG terms there. Thank you. And so Townsend, uh, the, the way he described it, he goes, like, in a film, you know, you've got an action sequence, and so you need the music to pace with the film, right? And so you had to shave off time from the music, and you had to get to the hundredth of the second to match up. But that's not necessarily in the best interest of the music evolution. So whereas with this, they didn't, they weren't, you know, beholden to any sort of film, so they could kind of pace the music the way, the way it felt organically. Now, you were asking earlier about she's theme. And you're right. So uh, reading what Joel McNeely's thoughts were, basically he really felt a, uh, an ethnic vibe when he would read about Shizor. So the song on the track called Shizor's Theme, he really tried to do something Middle Eastern. Very sort of uh, slightly primitive in style, what he said, but with a real seductive side with lots of drums. So reading that was really cool to hear that and then going back and listening to the track, I'm like, oh, I can totally feel that.
There's another good track called Night Skies. It's this scene in the book where Darth Vader is... It's one of my favorites. It's a good one, yeah. And, yeah. And, and what inspired it was there's a scene in the book where Darth Vader's standing on a balcony overlooking Imperial City uh, at dusk. He, he's kind of communicating through the Force with Luke, and he's kind of melancholy because he's you know setting out to capture his son. And, and for that scene, you know, Joel sort of playing... He's a choir, and it's very quiet, sort of reflective element. It's about a man being introspective at a pivotal moment in his life, and that's kind of how he planned out that theme. And when you hear that, or when you, you know that, and you listen to it, you're like, wow, okay, yeah. And there's several other tracks which are great. In fact, you're probably hearing one right now being played underneath this discussion. highly recommend you pick up Shadows of the Empire because for me and many many other fans out there I have just slotted it right in with all my other Star Wars soundtracks I have all I have all well all of them I don't you know I don't have Last Jedi soundtrack yet now I think about it but I have all the other soundtracks and I have them you know digitally downloaded and I play them either when I'm doing role playing or just in general when I want to listen to them and Shadows of the Empire is as far as I'm concerned it is just as legit as the prequel soundtracks and Force Awakens soundtrack oh definitely I've got the uh, box set that was released in the late 90s mm-hmm. the one with, that had the all the original things with that came in the box and then um it also had the bonus material so it had like you know modal nodes and yep. lopty neck and all those huge huge fan of it so yeah and there's more folks that wasn't the end of the shadows of the empire thing they also did role-playing supplements because oh uh, yeah i west end games is in my dna i love me the west end games role-playing game i played it for years obviously by the terms you're throwing out andy i'm assuming you're a big fan of the west end games as well um actually i've never played any of the d6 stuff uh i'm i'm all d20 okay. um the, the, a lot of it is the sort of connected tissue dna is owed a lot to the west end games like you can't get away from how influential they were and also as a kid before i knew anything about role-playing games um we went into a comic book store and i actually bought the a new hope supplement mm-hmm. for for the west end games and i read that thing until it fell apart right i guess maybe that was my first thing to the eu because a lot of that stuff wasn't necessarily canon but yeah. like i i just i read and that's also how there was a picture of a stormtrooper in there that I, I drew freehand over and over again until I got it right, and that's how I like know how to draw stormtroopers now. Oh, that's like, awesome. I learned how to draw from yeah, because as a kid I was obsessed with Star Wars and as an adult too. But like I was like, oh man, look the way their armor is, and so, anyways. But I actually never got a chance to play any of the uh, D six. I mean, my friends told me about it with the you know the pips and the mm-hmm. other stuff. Speaking of role playing, uh, when is Hero Points coming out? So anyway, uh, you brought up an <laughs> point that I really like, which is the West End Games books, they weren't just for hardcore <laughs> players. They made good reading. They were entertaining to read. There was a lot of great information. In fact, not everyone knows this, but a lot
lot of the Star Wars Expanded Universe, especially the Legends era, owes a lot of itself to the West End Games material. Because remember, West End Games was created in 1987, the Star Wars game in 87, and kept publishing through the, the dark times. And so when it came time for Timothy Zahn to write the first Thrawn trilogy, Lucasfilm mailed him a box full of West End Game books. And they said, we like what these guys are doing. Use some of this. So when you read uh, Heir to the Empire, there are ships in there, there are concepts in there, things in there that came from the West End Games material, which then got sort of, you know, at that time canonized, if you will, by the novels. So a lot is owed to the West End Games stuff. So... Uh, they created two source books in, for Shadows of the Empire. One was just Shadows of the Empire source book. It was 128 pages and uh, had stats and chapters on the Rebels, the Empire, the Black Sun, the Fringe, which was kind of like the dark underbelly of the Star Wars universe, the planets, aliens, droids, equipment, vehicles, and starships. And then uh, there was also a Shadows of the Empire planets guide, which I, I didn't write it down, but I think it was like 70 pages or so. Anyway, it's got stats and chapters on Rhodia, uh, the, the Vergesso asteroid field, Bothwana, and Cothless, uh, whatever it is. These are planets that were featured throughout Shadows of the Empire. And the interesting thing about this, it's, it's got lots of facts and stats, but they also made up a whole bunch of original characters. So if you wanted your characters to go to one of these settings, they're already pre-made characters for you to meet that sort of felt very Star Wars-y. There were RPG scenario ideas. It really was a great resource. Oh, I love West End games so much. I just, I love, I could just read codexes and role-playing game books all day long. Um, but especially the Star Wars ones and the Western game ones are very well put together. Now, did they use a lot of the, um, illustrations from the Shadows of the Empire or did they do a lot of like in-house illustrations? Because I know in the Western games books that I had, they used a lot of Ralph McQuarrie artwork to supplement the sort of in-house stuff that they did. Uh, I'm, I'm flipping through it right now. It's in my hands. It was definitely in-house. Art. Okay. So they used, they didn't use scenes from the comics. Now, some of the art was re- Printed like they used stuff they had designed previously, like Thalia, the the Bothans guy. They used a lot of art they'd used for him previously in here. There's a, a lot of characters that you know may have reappeared in other stats that so they just repurposed, like a Jabba picture and things like that. But for the most part, it's original art that was uh, done for the for the book. It's very oh, cool. cool. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Now, those are all of sort of like the various media tie-ins. So as you can see, this was a huge, huge, expansive project all surrounding one theme of Shadows of the Empire, which was awesome. It was such a cool idea. Yes, it was to get the marketing and merchandising machine up and running, but in and of itself, the phenomena was so cool. And I was I was living it. I was breathing it. I was buying everything. Other than the N64 game, I was pretty much invested <laughs> in all of it. I loved it. Now, there were a few sequels and follow-ups that are worth mentioning here real quick. I'm going to just trip everything through them super fast. Uh, you said you weren't sure about Guri surviving. Well, my friend, the most obvious Shadows of the Empire follow-up was a comic book miniseries called Shadows of the Empire Evolution, which was, uh, I believe it was six issues. It was a miniseries about Guri after Shadows of the Empire. And it was written by Steve Perry. I don't remember liking it all that much. But uh, Was there uh, any weird sex stuff in it? Uh, I don't remember. I don't think so, because, again, Dark Horse isn't going to let it get past them. But <laughs> they're not going to let it slide like Bantham did? Bantham dropped the ball oh, on that gosh. one. <laughs> could be. Could be. I don't know. But uh, that's the most direct sequel. Uh, there was also a novel that came out much, much later. I mean, this novel is, like, not that many years old, as far as I'm concerned. It was called Shadow Games, and it features Dash Rendar, and he is a bodyguard for it. Now, it's also got Luke and Leia and Han and all them as well, but Dash is in the book, and he is a ba- uh, bodyguard for a pop star. Oh, I'm going to read this. 
uh, read this so hard. Again, not my favorite book. <laughs> but the best thing about it is you do get some scenes with Dash Rendar and Han Solo together, so you kind of oh, see cool. them contrasted. So they know yeah, each other. Yeah, that'd be they have, they have interesting. Interest. Yep. Now those are the those are the biggest direct tie-ins. So then there's other sort of tangent tie tangential, easy for me to say, tie-ins. Like when they did the when they finally did the Return of the Jedi audio drama, uh, radio drama, because you know they had done Star Wars, they had done Empire, those had been huge. They never did a return until 1996. It was years later they did the Return of the Jedi radio drama. In there, Brian Daly does make several references to events from Shadows of the Empire, like C-3PO flying the Falcon, things like that. Then when you get to 1997, the special edition release of Star Wars... <laughs> There's, of course, you get the swoop bikes and the asteroids, which we talked about, but those were those were designed for special edition. However, you do see in Mos Eisley for a split second, you see the Outrider, which was so yeah. freaking exciting. I mean, that was when it came out on DVD. That was the big or, or VHS, I guess, originally. That was the biggest freeze frame moment. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, there's the Outrider. Uh, <laughs> so, well, so now. I was doing some research for this because they said that with the jettisoning of the canon, of the EU canon, obviously we see the Outrider, right? So either Dash Rendar is alive and he's canon, or they said that also, too, it could just be that the Outrider is canon and that, you know, the the YT-2000 is canon. Actually, I think that's what it is. The YT-2000 becomes canon. Because it, there's no, there's, it's not got a label on it that says Outrider or anything like that. It's just a white yeah. TV thousand. That's it. And it's not shiny. It's a little shiny. It's a, it's a little shiny. I will, I will have to look up if I'm right about this chrome. My, my, my memory was that it was supposed to be like chrome plated, but maybe I made that up. It's definitely supposed to be a shiny, brand new. It's like the Falcon is dirty tech. This is like brand new, right off the line kind of tech. It's, so it's actually, it's actually, it is canon now because that's what uh, Phasma's costume is made out of. Yeah. <laughs> Same vacuum seal. So, uh, let's see what else. So, in, in this, now I've never seen this, but in Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace, they did use a micro machine of Shizor in the crowd scene. At oh, the in the pod race. race? Yeah, yeah, I heard about this. I heard, I, I read it in the Star Wars Insider, yeah. like two thousand and one. Yeah, it it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. And a couple other more recent things. I in TV animation, The Black Sun, which is this syndicate that Shizor was the head of, did feature in Star Wars: The Clone Wars cartoon. Shizor himself did not, but The Black Sun did. Very cool. Canon that to some extent and then because uh, is Clone Wars considered part of the new yes. post Legends mm-hmm. con- okay so Black Sun it, it's it's a backdoor for all of the EU stuff okay. so actually um, yeah and so even Jackson's race is uh, is canon Jackson so, the rabbit yeah. <laughs> sweet okay. there's a there's there's a, a a a famous thing where they're walking through and there's a rabbit skull in a spacesuit and uh, that's how they they canonize Jackson's race as being real nice so yeah. Well, the, the YT-2000 has also been canonized because it appeared in a Star Wars Rebels magazine store. So, awesome. No, not the Outrider, but at least the, the brand, the YT-2000. So that's nice. Sweet. They, then in some video games, there was a game called Star Wars Alliance, uh, X-Wing Alliance, because you had the X-Wing game, you had the TIE Fighter game, and then you had X-Wing Alliance. And so it's not officially part of Star- Shadows of the Empire. However, a lot of the campaign, the missions, take place during the Shadows of the Empire adventure. So it does kind of you know thematically you know, sort of weave into there. So, all right. Andy, at the end of the day, what 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 are your sort of your closing thoughts on Shadows of the Empire? So, I mean, I don't know, man. Overall, I really, really, really enjoyed it as a thing. The individual parts um, may it's sort of reverse Episode One for me. The ephemera and the uh, sort of parts are just not as good as the whole thing. And I feel the exact opposite about like Episode One and a lot of the prequel stuff. But like, I just 
it makes it gives me the warm fuzzies every time I think about Shadows of the Empire. Like it just it makes me feel like I was a, feel like a kid, and like it gives me all those good memories of it back in the day. But even if you don't, even if you don't have those sort of emotional connections or nostalgic connections to it, there's a lot of really cool stuff in here, and you know, a lot of it ranges from like really like gross and yucky <laughs> to like the, the the highs are really 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 high. So I mean, overall, I love Shadows of the Empire. I think it's great. I would love to see a lot of this stuff at least canonized i don't think anything in here really bats against canon right now like there's a lot of things that you could easily slip into the you know sort of skywalker saga that would be totally fine from this there's a lot of stuff that deserves to get not be canonized (laughs) um all i'm saying is lucasfilm if if you're listening to this please canonize big jizz you have to It's it's gotta be it's gotta be like it would just be it would enrich the universe so much and if Uncar plot can be a thing why not you know so no I, I I love Shadows of the Empire and I'm planning on expanding a lot of the stuff that I found out while doing research for this and things that you sent me there's a lot of things now that I want to go back and kind of either get or relook through or you know there's a lot of there's a lot of material here you can pour through it there's a lot of as as I say like play value with the toys but like there's a lot of like intrinsic value in the things that are part of this like multimedia event yeah yeah well for me I, I in doing this sort of retrospective I discovered that the warm fuzzies I have are really more for the phenomena itself uh, the marketing plan the the wide uh, you know scope of this project that's where my passion lies for this not necessarily in the minutia of the story because as we you know, we pointed holes all over this thing but I do love it I it, it reminds me of a time in my life where I was you know had all this freedom I was Becoming my own person, and Shadows of the Empire played a role in it. You know, I would get off work. I managed movie theaters. I would get off work at two in the morning, and I would go to Walmart and troll the toy aisle. You know, in 1996, looking for the next Shadows of the Empire toy I didn't have yet. I mean, that's the kind of nice. that's the kind of memories I have, which is goofy, but I love it, and it makes me very, very happy to think back on it. I think there are aspects again, like the soundtrack. Still, I still love it. The the, the role playing source material, fantastic. The toys, exceptional. There's so many parts of Shadows of the Empire that is worth celebrating. You know. Um, and now that I have reframed Dash Rendar in my brain as instead of being a poor man Han Solo as being Star-Lord, I love Dash uh, Rendar so much more now. And it's, um, so there's a lot, a lot to love. Now, one of the things I think it was exceptional as was as a bridge between Empire and Return. It really, they did a nice job weaving, and t- intentionally so, uh, weaving all that together. They did a really good job. But I would tell you, I think it works better in hindsight. So, like, I wouldn't want to introduce someone to, new to Star, I mean, there's no one new to Star Wars on the planet, probably, but I wouldn't want to introduce someone to Star Wars by going, watch A New Hope, watch Empire Strikes Back, do Shadows of the Empire, then do Return of the Jedi. I, that wouldn't work. No, 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 it, no. It really works better as a retrospective, as someone coming but... back in and, and fit, slotting it in. I would feel comfortable saying as a uh, dip your toes in the water for the, you know, the now Legends canon, I would 100% recommend some specific materials from Shadows of the Empire as a great Maybe maybe not the novel, but like the, the the comic book or the role playing game supplements or any of that stuff or even the video game. I would I would highly recommend a lot of the ideas and things in here as a sort of uh, gateway drug to the old EU Legends canon because it's very safe. It's it, you know it's 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 a it's a safe way to I think explore it and get into those ideas. Um, and also you're never going to be chasing like if you start with like Care to the Empire and all those you're going to be chasing that dragon the you know the high. <laughs> 
for a long time and you're not going to find it. You're just not going to find it elsewhere. But if you set the bar medium height, it's fine. So I would I would say that this is like a if, if you're interested in the EU and interested in the Legends canon, good place to start. Love it warts and all. There you go. That's the way to look yep, at it. Absolutely. So, so just big, like all of Star Wars. Yeah. That's right. Two big questions. Was Shadows of the Empire successful? From yes. A, from a financial perspective, I think absolutely. Oh, yeah. Uh, they, they raked in the money on this stuff. Yes, there may have been Dash Rendar applause toys, you know, uh, on the shelves for years. I'm getting one. I'm right. getting one. Right. <laughs> Shouldn't yeah. be hard to find. Uh, <laughs> but, but I think it was. I mean, the, we talked about the sales on the N64. I mean, oh my gosh. We talked about the comic books and, you know, the comics had those and then the trade paperbacks and the novel and the paperback and, oh my gosh, they made money hand over fist. So yes, it was absolutely financial success. Quality wise, I would say the majority of it was a yes, you know? There's, again, certain things that could be exercised, and you know what? Maybe you take the story and exercise those things we don't like that we just talked about and turn it into a hell of an animated movie. That would be great. Oh, that would be so cool. Yeah. Or, you know, even you could cover this time period in a, um, you know, Dave Filoni eventually is going to have to get around to, to doing, uh, you know, animated features about stuff. Just imagine a sort of Disney XD TV show set around the bounty hunters during the a canon uh, exploration of the bounty hunters during this time period um, you know run two or three seasons and be able to get a lot of this cool stuff in and have you know Shizor show up and a lot of that stuff a lot of the stuff that's worth canonizing and worth taking over I, th- I would love to see an exploration of that at some point anywhere even, whether it's animation whether it's comic books whether it's whatever I think that there's a lot here that adds to the Star Wars universe and I'd be sad if it never made it into it yep I agree awesome well folks we're going to take a quick podcast promo break and when we come back we're going to say our goodbyes and Andy is going to have to answer the Galactic Questionnaire. Well, hold on just a second. I already answered both of them. Just, 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 just shut up. Just go with it. Oh, fine. Batman Nightcast, a thrilling new podcast from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, hosted by Ryan Daly and Chris Franklin. Nightcast chronicles the Cape Crusaders' adventures in Batman and Detective Comics after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Highlights from this legendary era include Batman number 400 Legends Mike Barr and Alan Davis Batman Year One Batman Year Two Max Allen Collins Ugh Um, the new Jason Todd Ugh Millennium? You're not doing this right, let me take over Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle Alan Grant from Jurassic Park? Did you hear me say Norm freaking Brayfogle? Oh yeah Son of the Demon The Killing Joke a death in the family. Batman Year Three. A lonely place of dying. Alan Grant, Alan Davis, Max Allen Counts. Why are there so many people named Alan from this era of Batman? The rise of Tim Drake. Legends of the Dark Knight. And that's just up until 1989. Did anything exciting happen with Batman after that? You'll have to tune in to find out. Batman Nightcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Find it on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Oh, we forgot to mention your favorite issue, When Batman Fires Dick Grayson. You want to find another co-host? Black Canary. I'll need a sparring partner. I'm Zatanna. Why do you care about some leggy dame in nylons? Or have I answered my own question? Black Canary and Zatanna, together in one podcast. 
I'm Ryan Daly, and I've got a thing for superheroes in fishnet stockings. That's why I started Power of Fishnets, a Black Canary and Zatanna podcast. Join me every two weeks as I celebrate the Blonde Bombshell and the Mistress of Magic in their exciting adventures published by DC Comics. Power of Fishnets, available on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. And we're back. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Andy, you are in the hot seat. You are the guest today, so therefore, you have to answer the Galactic Questionnaire. All right. Question number one. You're on the run from a battalion of stormtroopers. Who would you rather... Hold on a second. Are these like sand troopers? Are these scout bikes? Are these like first order? Hmm. What's going on here? Which ones are the best shots? The first order, (sighs) we saw them slaughter a bunch of people, so they're probably the better shots. So we'll say first order stormtroopers. Okay. Okay. Who who would you rather have watching your back while you're running from the battalion of stormtroopers? R2-D2 or BB-8? Wow. I love BB-8, and I would love to give him tummy scratches, but I would say that I would probably want R2-D2 since he's like a cold, calculated killing machine. Um, I would definitely choose R2-D2 because he would be able to murder everybody, and I wouldn't even have to worry about it, so that's fine. Wow. R2-D2, yeah. Interesting answer. Uh, different, different reasoning than I ever would have expected. <laughs> my, wife, my wife has this theory about R2-D2 flying the ship, and Luke's just in there for no reason. Like, he's the one that doing all the stuff but anyways um yeah rtd is it he's got that buzz saw he's total badass all right question number two you've got a sniper rifle and no fear of recriminations who gets it ewoks gungans or porgs how dare you you know what chag who jibs who jibs <gasps> oh no i'm what? just i'm kidding I, I felt bad when i said that i'm so sorry um i love who jibs i almost deleted this entire recording right now <laughs> I mean, you came that close buddy uh how about vintage collectors and the the, the, the <laughs> Well, okay, but let me let me paraphrase that and or, you know hedge hedge what I'm saying here. I don't like gatekeepers. I don't like people who take the Star Wars community and find their joy and then hold that as paramount and everything else is just garbage or, or don't want to pr- promote or support other people's versions of Star Wars or Star Wars fandoms. Listen, you love the EU a lot more than you love the new stuff. I love the new stuff probably more than I like the EU. Both you and I are, I would say, good, supportive Star Wars fans of one another. I don't think that there's any reason why you can't like both. I don't think there's any reason why you can't support younger people from getting into Star Wars. I don't think there's any reason to deny anybody of any any sort of background or gender or race or whatever from getting into Star Wars. Just be supportive. So any non-supportive Star Wars fans that prevent people from getting into Star Wars or make Star Wars a toxic place, that's who I would shoot. Okay. So what I heard was you standing up on your soapbox with a rifle shooting Ewoks. That's what I heard. Okay. Anyway, uh, next question. Number four. I'm sorry, question number three. We've been doing this so long I've already lost track of the numbers. Question number three. Which do you choose? Reading George Lucas's original concept notes for episodes seven through nine or owning an original Boba Fett rocket firing action figure? Um, this is like just rocket firing Boba Fett. Are you kidding me? Why? I knew who I was asking. That's why I was in there. <laughs> uh, I, listen, George Lucas's notes. I've seen his handwriting. No thanks. Um, uh, definitely. Rocket firing Boba Fett? Come on. 
Okay. Come on. Question number four. You have just asked out Princess Leia, Padme Amidala, and Rey. You have failed spectacularly and were turned down by each of them. Which of the three delivered the funniest rejection line? Princess Leia. Princess Leia would, would I don't know. Maybe I'm confusing my, my love of Carrie Fisher here, but uh, just... Princess Leia is just one in a million. And I love Padme Amidala and I love Rey, but uh, Rey would be miffed, I think, you know, would be, mm. you know, how dare you? And then, you know, uh, uh, Padme Amidala would be really gracious. But I think, you know, I just I can't get that image out of my head of Carrie Fisher flipping people off for 40 solid years <laughs> in my head. And uh, I definitely think it would be Princess Leia, hands down. It, it would be uh, sort of on par with the Empire Strikes Back, you know, dressing down she did of Han. Oh, scruffy looking nerf herder! <laughs> Who are you calling scruffy? Looking. Right, exactly. All right, question number five. You are helping plan your cousin's quinceanera, and you yes. need to hire a band. Do you, hire, do you hire Jefferson Starship to reprise their song, Like the Sky on Fire, from the Star Wars Holiday Special, or do you hire the Max Rebo band to reprise their song, Jedi Rocks, from the special edition of Return of the Jedi? You are evil. You're just an <laughs> evil person. Um, I, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say Jefferson Starship because I, if I never hear uh, Jedi Rocks again in my whole life, it will be, have been too soon. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, question number six. Is Ryan Daly the Boba Fett of podcasting or the Captain Phasma of podcasting? Ryan Daly is the last Jedi Luke Skywalker of podcasting. (laughs) And let me tell you why. Because he's an absolute legend. I love him so much. I think that his introspection and sort of searching inside himself for what his belief system means to him is important and necessary. And I just have nothing but respect for the the choices that were made regarding his character in recent developments. And yeah, that's all I got to say. He's an absolute legend. And I don't want to sound like I'm needling him about this at all, but I have nothing but respect for someone who takes their fandom seriously enough to figure out what it means to them. It's really a, a legendary move. So I hope that his faith returns. I hope he's, he doesn't shut himself off from the Force and the, the Star Wars fandom forever. But nothing but respect for him taking a step back and trying to figure out what his fandom means. I love you, Ryan. Wow. You know he's not here, right? And and this isn't like an intervention. I mean, you're just kissing up to nobody, but the, you know, whatever. What? He's not, I thought he was – we're in his house. <laughs> Shh, he's still sleeping. <laughs> All right, Andy. The good news is – the judges said you did so well on the Galactic Questionnaire that you get one more all-important bonus question. Are you ready? Yes. All yes, right. I'm so excited. Brace yourself. Here we go. Question number seven. Okay. After The Last Jedi, some people believe we still don't know the full truth about Rey's parentage. All right. So here's your question. Is Rey, A, the daughter of Princess Leia, or B, the niece of Luke Skywalker, or C, the daughter of Han Solo? Um, Pass. <laughs> No. Um, hey, you want to hear my really bad Ray theory? Oh no. Okay. I've said yeah. I've said I've said mine over on the Film and Water podcast when we covered uh, the Last Jedi. So go ahead. <laughs> I, and, and I think that question was a little le- little leading, perhaps as well. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I'm still digesting that one in chunks, um, uh, much like the Sarlacc over thousands of years. <laughs> Um, so no, people I know a lot about that. I, th- I think, well, I wanted to be a Kenobi because big, mm-hmm. big, big ring. That makes sense. Like ring theory, big ring. That makes sense. But also what if we don't know the extent of Darth Vader's injuries, but like, what if she's another Skywalker sibling? I'm just throwing that out there. Think Ex- about it. Explain. Darth Vader mm-hmm. could have had a oh, child. Other kids. Oh, yeah. Okay. We know that he got like cooked 
in episode three, right? But yeah. we don't know how functional he is. Okay. He's more machine than man, but the man parts might still work. Well, yeah, that's true. And not to not to go full Steve Perry on you or nothing, but you know the. Uh... <laughs> See, I thought maybe you were going with the whole fan theory about Kenobi and Amidala. If you watch episode three, you can like you can sense oh, yeah, the well, tension it, there. Like, it ma- it makes sense. Like I I like I like the idea of Ray being in Kenobi. But you know, even if she's nobody, that's fine. I I'm I'm just here for the ride, man. Like I just I like Star Wars. Well, whoever Ray Solo ends up being, uh, I guess we'll find out by the time episode nine concludes. So. Anyway, speaking of conclusions, we got to wrap this up because uh, sooner or later that baby's going to wake up and we're going to get cold busted. So, Andy, could you please tell the folks where they can find you on the interwebs? Uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram, uh, I have both a uh, one for my artwork and projects, and that one's called uh, Wolfman Cap on Instagram. Wolfman, like the Wolfman, and then KAP. Um, and then also my private Instagram, I will filter you and see if you are worthy of following me. Uh, it's a private account, but uh, you can find me at 1138 Reference. And it's mostly just memes, but also sometimes selfies. So if you enjoy seeing my beautiful face, that's something to look out for. Nice. Is there perhaps a podcasty kind of thing where they might find you as well? No, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> the Force 95 podcast, which also has an Instagram and also is on YouTube and somewhere else soon. So watch out for that. Great job pimping yourself. I had to lead you down the path there, my friend. I, listen, man, it's, you, it's your idea to break here in the middle of the night. I'm pretty sure the, the sun's coming up. So, <laughs> Two, A double sun. Double sun's coming up. It's so, twin suns. Well, our thanks to Ryan Daly for letting us borrow the equipment uh, or letting us steal it while he's sleeping. Either way you look at it. We sincerely appreciate it, Ryan. Thank you for the opportunity. We love you, Ryan. We do. We look forward to more Gimme the Star Wars episodes with Ryan at the helm, which I'm sure can't be that far away. So, folks, thanks for listening, and until next time, may the Force be with you. Oh. <laughs>